What is up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Mean Enough Podcast. I am Ace. This is RB3. And this is the podcast where we talk about your favorite directors and the deeper meaning within their movies. And this episode, we're talking about, in my opinion, and in a lot of people's opinions, the blockbuster goat himself. Of course, yeah. James Cameron. He's still the king of the box office after all these years and after Star Wars trying so hard. But he he remains he remains the the box office king. We're gonna talk about all his films. We're gonna talk about his inspiration behind the films and some other stuff that I've read up on and you know been keeping up on. So this episode's gonna be a fun one. But before we do that, guys, we're gonna jump into last week's episode where we talked about Brad Bird. We're gonna read your comments. Now, this episode didn't do that hot. It didn't do that great. A couple, a couple of you right. saw the video, um, and that's okay. that's that's okay. The <laughs> iTunes supporters still holding steady. I'm looking at you guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm always keeping check on y'all. Uh, it's 180 million opening weekend for Incredibles two, and like 200 views for. <laughs> So can we get a little bit of that, guys? Can we get a little bit? Hey, man, you know, 90 million that is kids, and they're not looking for uh, the deeper meanings and the superhero animated films. Still, that's that's huge. Yeah. <laughs> that's enormous. It's a crazy amount of money, man. Um, Two generations work. Um, let's read a comment from The Fleece 2. says, looking forward to listening to this dudes. Any chance we could get some old school stuff? Maybe some Paul Schrader or Walter Hill. Keep it up, guys. Hmm. Yeah, Walter Hill be interesting. Yeah, we yeah. Still, uh, that's the film. Film school. I mean, we we want to we uh, we kind of want to big do ah do as many of the contemporaries as possible. Yeah, I mean, I mean, think think about First Reform too, right? Um, which is what Paul Schrader's doing right now. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm right on that. I think so. I don't know yeah. if I'm wrong on that, but it's it's kind of gone from the box office right. as far as people watching the movie. Um, I want to see the movie. I'm probably going to see it sometime this week, but. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. We definitely want to do some older guys because I know we don't want to just do current directors. We want to yeah. do some old school directors as well. And I know RB3 has more knowledge of that than I do. Um, so we're definitely going to jump into that. Um, Allah Ahmad 1000 says, Ooh. Hey Ace, when are, you gonna, when are we going to see you in the inner geekdom? Please tell me it's soon. Ooh. My answer is... <laughs> It's always gonna be my yeah, answer. This man. guy in inner geekdom. Hey man, tweet at uh, tweet at our commission, <laughs> Dad Williams and or <laughs> and tell them you want to see Ace Andres Cabrera in the inner geekdom league. I guess after the tournament. After the tournament. Yeah, tournament. Tournament. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> um, Gunslinger one ninety nine says Mission Possible Ghost Protocol was the first movie I saw in IMAX and it was amazing. You know what's funny when I read that comic because I read it before. Mm. I think because I said I saw it in IMAX too mm. last week. I think that was my first IMAX viewing too. Really? Yeah. I, I don't recall because I remember looking at the ticket stub and being like, did I really pay this much money for it? <laughs> like, what is so special about this? And then they were like, oh no, it's IMAX. And I was like, all right, this better be good. Right. But uh, I think it was. It might have been... It might have been like Avatar, though. I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say that when, when we got to that. I was going to say yeah, was yeah. Never mind. Was wrong, <laughs> but IMAX 2D probably right. Yeah, IMAX 2D. IMAX 2D. I don't okay. do 3D guys, which is going to be an interesting conversation when we talk about. Oh yeah, Avatar. But I don't do 3D. Like I hate 3D. Mm-hmm. Um, Jonathan Peck says, "What should Brad Bird do next? What is what should his next project be? Another animated film or go back to live action? What do you think, RB3? For Brad Bird, mm-hmm. I mean." 
Uh, I mean, he, his next film, I guess, is animated. So. Oh, really? Is it? Well, I guess The Incredibles too, right? Yeah, but I'm saying like after that. Uh, after that? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I like I like his animated films. For I mean, he's for the most part was in Incredibles, Ratatouille, Iron Giant. You know, he's three for three for three, four for four if you count Incredibles too. Sure. Uh, whereas there's a lot of the action stuff, you know, he's a little more hit and miss. Gross Protocol was a hit. Uh, you know, Tomorrowland was a miss, but so. I mean, I'd be interested to see what he does live action again. Um, but animated is, you know, I think where he's where he most hones in his talent, and, and I'd appreciate to see more of that too. So sure, I agree. Yeah. I, I think animated is definitely in his wheelhouse. Even though I still, like I said last week, Ghost Protocol, the, that scene is that tower scene is still one of the greatest scenes I've seen for like any movie as far as like action scenes. It's incredible. Um, Yash says you guys should do a. Kubrick episode. The re-release of 2001 and 70mm has been rotating a pre-screen average for multiple weeks now, and in terms of sheer symbolism and philosophical depth, his movies remain unrivaled. Yes. Yeah. Very unrivaled. Yeah, that'd be a tough episode. <laughs> that was going to say, that's yeah. a lot. <laughs> that's like a four and a half hour episode. Eight page, eight page essays for each, uh, for each movie, you know what I mean? As we're Dude. fucking do it. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, think about it. A part one and part two would be like three hours each. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. <laughs> it's almost like a three-parter. Yeah, man. If anything else. I mean, shit, he got like ten movies, nine movies, something like that. I no, I think he's got ten, ten or eleven. I think, yeah, something like that. Um, it might be, it might I be eleven. I don't know. Um, are you a Kubrick guy? That's going to be our last Kubrick. Kubrick. No, I'm big on Kubrick, bro. I mean, I even wanted, I, I campaigned to have a Kubrick category in the Schmodown, like, for the longest time, and they added it, and I never spun it. <laughs> I always wanted to spin it, but I can't. Um, man, I love all of his movies. Uh, I mean, we, of course, in film school, we watch all of his movies repeatedly, again and again and again and again. But I love, uh, I love all of them. I love uh, Lolita. I love um, Doctor Strange. Love is one of my favorite, like political uh, satire films. Uh, you know, uh, you know, the 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 Vietnam film. Apocalypse Now? No, Full Metal Jacket. Oh. Full Metal Jacket is like one of my favorite war films. <laughs> what did I say? Uh, Apocalypse Now. Just so the first Vietnam film. film that comes to my head. Well, hey, but to me, so that's weird. Because, I was going to say, do you like Full Metal Jacket more? Well, that's, that's interesting because I think Apocalypse Now is like the better movie, but the mm. one that I would like go and rewatch more is Full Metal Jacket. Mm. I just find Full Metal Jacket like more entertaining. Sure. And I guess, you know, the first 45 minutes of it is a lot stronger. And of course, that's what a lot of people talk about. Um, but I still like a lot of the second half of it. I like the symbolism and, and, and what they go for in the second half of Full Metal Jacket a lot. Um, but I think in terms of like the crafted movie and like the movie that's way more influential into the iconography of Vietnam, I think Apocalypse Now serves that a lot better. I think there's better sequences and moments in Apocalypse Now. But what I go back and watch more and more is Full Metal Jacket. Sure. So, um, every Kubrick film I, I appreciate a lot. Um, even 2001, I don't like, I'm probably in the minority a little bit. I don't like necessarily oh. like, I like, I look, I, I really appreciate that movie. This is I the movie that inspired like everyone. <laughs> hey, listen, no, it's beautiful, gorgeous. You know what I mean? Like, it's very nice to look at and, you know, all of the, the, the themes and all that is, is dope. You know what I mean? But I just, it's a hard film to like sit through. And I, I saw this, I saw the 70 millimeter version, not this release, but my freshman year in oh, college. Oh, I was going to say, I want to see, I want to catch that. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, I haven't seen the new restored version. I haven't seen the new I one. I walked out of uh, Incredibles 2 with a buddy of mine, and we saw the poster for the 2001 speed, and I was like, 
I want to see that. And yeah. I turned to him and I was like, I have to see that. I hope it's still around. I'm sure it is in L.A. I think it is, yeah. Yeah, in L.A. It's Nolan, be... Nolan was behind uh, that restoration, That's right? right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so you inspired Nolan, bro. Come yeah, on. I, mean, no, I mean, no, I love it, bro. I love it, but you know, I just you're not a fan of how I just, I just, I just have to, you know, you have to really, <laughs> you can't be, you can't just ram be like, hey, I want to watch this. Yeah, movie. it's not like really... a movie you're gonna be like <laughs> sit down in, in in your living room and you know eat a box of cereal and watch two thousand more. I'm gonna watch Jumanji instead. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a random movie. Um, let's get into James Cameron, guys. Um, something I did, and I texted RB3 about it because I freaked out over the weekend, was discover uh, a TV show, apparently, that James Cameron has mm. called The Story of Science Fiction with James Cameron. Mm. Um, it's on AMC, and apparently it was on like months back, but I never caught it because I don't have TV. <laughs> but I found it online, and I just binged all the episodes. Only six episodes he said, right? Yeah, six episodes, and he interviews um, George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, uh, Guillermo del Toro, and Chris Nolan. Mm. Oh, and Arnold Schwarzenegger too. But for the directors, those those five guys were like, you know, pretty much goats. Mm. Um, and he's pretty much just gushing about um, sci-fi and what what is the inspiration. Like a lot of talk about two thousand one, a lot of talk about H. G. Wells, a lot of talk about um, all these books that inspired science fiction directors back in the thirties, back in the forties when they were making these movies. It's incredibly interesting. It's basically a giant meaning of. But, mm. but meaning of sci-fi. Yeah. And they actually get to talk to the people that they're yeah. <laughs> inspired by. It's great. And, and it's funny. <laughs> you know what's funny, too, is it has has your homegirl in it, too. And she's in it a lot. Amy Nicholson. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, nice, nice, She's in nice. it a lot. Like, she yeah. always gets the sound bites and stuff. And mm. she's talking about... Because she's like... She's, like, interviewing them? Or? No, she's, like, uh, doing a, a, a in-person camera interview. Like, oh, a camera interview. okay. Because okay. she's, like, the... The movie critic slash uh, expert, uh, and then they put they give a shout out to the canon. Mm. Um, but there's oh, a few right, critics right. on there, like the TV line critics on there, the BBC guys on there, and my homegirl, the girl I talked about um, back in episodes past, Alyssa Wilkinson from Vox. Mm. She makes an appearance as well. Mm. Um, who I I always told you guys that I cater to, towards her written reviews because we talked about you know what reviewers we like. I like her quite a bit. Right. Um, and she's in it too. She makes like a small appearance, not as much as Amy. But uh, it's incredibly interesting. I highly recommend it. And it's basically kind of getting inside James Cameron's passion for sci-fi. Like, like unabashed, untethered, unstoppable passion that he has. That, that's never going to fade away kind of thing. And he loves it. Like he, he talks to the directors and it's pretty, pretty fascinating. Right. And they're all big personalities too. I mean, Think about like George and Steven and mm-hmm. Guillermo and Chris Nolan too. So it's it's yeah. very interesting and that's kind of where that's my research for the week. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but it's re- it's it's cool because you also get to see his interests and what he was into and the kind of films that he wanted to make. Because in a way, except for maybe Titanic, all his films are kind of sci-fi films. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's where you know his his focus has always been as as a director. He, even something as Titanic just being like this romantic drama it still has kind of a blockbustery ending to it. So, sure. you know, it, uh, it kind of all makes sense. The, um, that's the through line that inspires them. Speaking of blockbuster, I was going to ask you what I did last time is what is your first experience with Mr. Jimmy, Jimmy Cameron? Jimmy Cameron? Mr. Uh, James Cameron. Well, 
you know, I can't tell you my first experience because I might not necessarily like be remembering. Because my grandma used to love like the movies, like 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 Kill Bill. You know, term like she loved something like Terminator or Terminator Two or Alien. Really? So, like, yeah, it's <laughs> weird. Crazy. She, she's she's into she's into weird shit, but not weird shit, but dope shit. Yeah. Uh, but so I I probably watched that a lot younger, so I wasn't like too familiar. If this is a James Cameron movie. Um, but I always talk about my first like move, the movie that inspired me to go into filmmaking is is the Avatar two thousand nine when it when it came out. So that was the first time I saw a movie. Is like, oh, this is James Cameron. This is what this guy does. And then um, and and do discovering it that way. Then I started going back and looking at you know some of his oh, and even Titanic too. Even though Titanic was probably something my mom watched like a lot a lot in the house when I was younger. So I don't necessarily remember that. Watching that as a kid, be like, oh, this is a James Cameron movie. But watching Avatar for the first time, I was like, oh, this is a director who has this consistent, like, through line of science fiction throughout his filmography. Let me go back and retrack all of his stuff. And that's when I really became a huge fan and admired his work a lot more. Yeah, that's very that's very interesting. And I, I want to get into a different conversation that I haven't done on previous episodes. Um, after I told you my first, which is obviously Titanic, mm-hmm. uh, that movie was everywhere. And I, I'm a kid right. from the 90s, too. Yeah. So I remember that. That stuff blew up. And I remember the VHS tape, which was like, I think it was three VHSs because the movie was so long or two. It might have been two. Um, and it's, I just remember like my, my, my mom, like you said, my mom is the one who catered towards Titanic the most. Right. Um, and she really enjoyed the movie. And that was kind of Leo DiCaprio's, you know, big come up. And that was like the biggest movie ever of all time. Right. <laughs> which it still kind of is. Yeah. Um, and, you know, because Avatar had a little bit of benefit through the 3D, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I mean, in everyone's opinion, too. But um, I want to get into a conversation differently now. I, I just kind of feel like doing this just because you brought it up. On, on a personal take, especially now in 2018 that we're living in right now, you're you're because you have a personal connection to James Cameron, and I kind of do, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to hear your what's your personal view of the guy. Because for me, I think he's like a legend, a goat, a genius, someone who you know, is very inspirational when it comes to filmmaking. But a lot of people right now are jumping off the James Cameron train. I don't right. know if you've noticed that. Right. Especially when it comes to him like bashing other movies mm-hmm. or, or trying Well that's to... just, that's the big that's the biggest problem I feel like with him. You just gotta stop talking. Like talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. loves talking. I mean about. he loves getting, I mean he loves going out on interviews and trash and oh, shit. Yeah, he's he's like, you gotta, yeah. So I thought what's, yeah, what's your personal view? I know I, I mean I think he's a genius and I think he deserves to be the gen- the the genius that he's so rightfully acclaimed as. And I think that um, we should, you know, we should acknowledge the vast influence that his films have throughout the history of cinema. Um, but that being said, like, <laughs> I can't really take this guy in too much stock on his movie opinions, not necessarily because I disagree with him, but because it's like a lot of times it seems like it's coming from a place of of a bitterness almost to a certain extent sure um and particularly i was thinking you know with the most recent comments he made about the marvel cinematic universe um how those movies are just you know about movies about you know middle-aged men without families or whatever right and he said they're all the same and whatnot it felt like the timing of those comments which came immediately like a day after black panther surpassed avatar as the as uh, in terms of the domestic box office, it seemed the way that was timed out. It makes it look like oh, you're you're being bitter towards the Marvel movies now, you know, because your movie got passed up. You know, same thing with Wonder Woman. You know, Wonder Woman becomes a highly successful character, and it's like oh, you're feeling bitter because you kind of did that first, and like we get it, we appreciate that you 
Forgot about the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like we appreciate that you laid the groundwork for these characters and and and, and for women empowerment in action movies. But like you shouldn't you shouldn't comment out of bitterness and you know you sure. know what I'm saying. So that's my only thing with, with James Cameron is like yeah that's that's a very fair point. What yeah. what did you think about his comments though? Um, um, either or. Or I mean like he I mean to to a certain extent he's 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 right about the Marvel movies to a certain sure. extent right like when he when he talks about how they're when when they all kind of f- follow a similar character kind of trajectory. That's a, that's a valid criticism I think most people would make about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, but that being said, there's a lot of his movies that like aren't too much better when it comes to, uh, like at least when it comes to movies like True Lies, right, or, or, or some of his other films are very much about like the machismo dude going out into the world solo by himself. And of course, a lot of his movies also have a woman protagonist as well, too, a female protagonist. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's a difficult, of course, it's a difficult you know, kind of gauge when, you know, the formula for Marvel is clearly working and we're clearly still enjoying his audience members, even though it's not necessarily original, it's, it's, it's still refreshing to us the way they tell those stories individually. So, but, you know, he, so to a certain extent, he's right. And then to a certain extent, I think the Wonder Woman comments, I don't agree necessarily, but I, I could see his point, you know what I mean? Sure. I could see that and the fact that, you know, they... And, and the fact that they, I mean, I, I can't remember exactly what, 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 what he was saying about it, but... He's saying it wasn't new, is what he was saying. Well, yeah, I mean, of course, he's going to say that because he created that kind of archetype. Well, no, the, I, himself, I think he, he, made his, he made it a point to not to, to say the difference between the two and how... Right. He, he made it a point to, to talk about the sexuality of Wonder Woman and how uh, she's wearing a booty short and, she, I mean, a tiny skirt and she's just, uh, like, flaunting and right, she's basically right, naked, right. which is kind of true, she is. Um, and how like th- this has been around forever. <laughs> like right, people always right. love girls who wear very little and are like badass, but are still like right. I mean, shaking their ass. you know, I I I, can't, I get that, but it's also I just think that's like her costume, you know. <laughs> so, like you know, so I mean, you know, I just wish James Cameron. I he's wish a very he yeah. He's a very yeah, loud guy. He's yeah. a very but but I I don't. I just think he's just a very loud guy. I don't think that should discredit him. Or no, no, no. I shouldn't discredit him. At I, all. No, I'm saying a lot yeah. of people. Have yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, I, by my personal opinion, I, I really do feel like the guy is super smart. He's a genius, and he's made a lot of like groundbreaking stuff. Like almost like, not quite George Lucas level, but almost kind of George Lucas level. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And, and to 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 have the biggest like still man like still every time I watch like a box office show. They talk about like in the worldwide charts, and it's still like freaking Avatar, Titanic, still mm-hmm. one and two. Like that's crazy. I don't think they're ever gonna get. I don't think. I don't think they're ever gonna that's get touched. Wild. Yeah, that's crazy. Like to do that, that's pretty. Like for it's like I know I'm not necessarily hyped for five Avatar films, but hey, man, sure. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> go for it. Well, listen, man. You got you know we're gonna talk about in this episode. James Cameron is the king of sequels. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. Terminator Two. Many people consider Aliens. Piranha Part Two, of course. And uh, that's where we're going to begin, guys, <laughs> with the great first feature of Mr. James Cameron, Piranha Part Two: The Spawning, 1981. The poster is a giant piranha looking up at a girl with her booty out <laughs> in a bikini. James Cameron always looking towards the strong female, and no sexual. <laughs> hey man, well maybe, maybe it's not his fault. Now I heard the whole story behind this movie. Is that they uh, they had the they they greenlit the sequel of Piranha? Sure. 
because it's following, you know, of course, the Jaws hype, you know, Jaws, the Piranha, you know, Piranha 2, and wants to keep keep the whole water, I think, you know, bait thing. So I heard basically it was like they designed the poster first, they like got the marketing stuff ready. Yeah, I'm, and I'm then looking they, at the new poster, it says Who's for Dinner, and it's a girl in a bikini um, looking at flying piranhas. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was probably, and I heard they, they fired Cameron after a week of, of filming or something like that, so... Might not necessarily be his fault this time. I, you know? I kind of uh, never. I'm I'm thinking stupid stuff right now. <laughs> I just drank too much coffee, guys. But I was like, I kind of feel you, bro. <laughs> 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 uh, I'm looking at a piranha, and he's just like chasing that girl, and I'm like, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> oh shoot! <laughs> Somebody else in the. Uh... Um, but yeah, I mean, Piranha Part Two is is it's very schlocky B movie type stuff, right? right. Um, and it's much more of like a scary type thing, which it, James Cameron is pretty good at. Like he's mm -hmm. really good at like doing creepy, scary type shit, mm -hmm. and that's kind of what he's done for for a few movies. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is it's it's one of those movies like you just said. It's not really yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, I think you know, and that's a funny story that comes up with a lot of. The directors we talk about, right? Same same thing happened with Fincher and Alien Three. Sure. Um, same thing happened with uh, with another who, who, some other directors who who got their movies like pretty much snatched away from them for their first time out, but sure. they ultimately come back and, and hit it hit it off big. So yeah. And speaking of hitting it off big, that movie started in 1984, The Terminator. Oh yeah. Um, now full disclosure, I love this movie. Mm -hmm. I I've recently. Uh, rewatched it and I think and I know a lot of people don't think so but I think it holds up I think the story holds up I think it's interesting I think the way he um, reveals information throughout the because you kind of don't know what's going on through it like halfway out through halfway throughout the movie you start to learn more and more and more and more and even the final scene of the movie you kind of discover certain things that were there I think it's incredible storytelling and obviously cutting-edge technology as well when it comes to the creation of the Terminator and, and just the idea itself of like time travel. It, it's, it's like, and he talked about it in his, in his, you know, science fiction show, but the idea of like traveling through time and, and the concepts of like changing the future, changing the past, who's, you know, who inspired who, who was there first, those kind of, I love time travel. So that's, I'm kind of partial towards it. And I know a lot of people hate time travel, but I love time travel. <laughs> So I think it's very interesting, and it's also a question on AI, right? Right. And what's, it's a, it's a mm -hmm. question on what's coming up with AI and, and how if we kind of take our hands off the wheel and, and, and try to make our lives easier with AI, it could eventually turn into something negative, they which is Skynet. Kill killer monsters. Um, yeah, no, I love the first Terminator movie, and this is... This is what you really consider James Cameron's like true debut to be. It's very independent, very low budget, um, but very expressive in the way that it's a science fiction tale that takes place in like this grisly real world environment. Um, this kind of cyberpunk, and and you know this really did influence an entire generation of cyberpunk um, going forward because of course the sci-fi punk kind of genre was beginning to emerge in the seventies, early eighties, but this movie kind of put that to the forefront, to the mainstream, and really broke out. Uh, the whole time travel, uh, the whole time travel bubble. This came out before Back to the Future, so this, this, and in combination with Back to the Future, which Robert Zemeckis was doing, um, kind of brought a new life to the time travel genre as well. Um, I, but 
Whereas Back to the Future approaches it through a comedic effect, this one approaches it through almost, I feel like a horror movie effect, right? Like sure. uh, the horrors of technology, the horrors of science fiction. I think that's something that James Cameron contemplates a lot throughout, uh, throughout his filmography, right? How the advancement of technology um, could come to our behest, to our downfall, and how our reliability on technology instead of like the real world, instead of the environment, uh, you know, is 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 working into to, to our demise. So I think that's very prominent in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I watched the behind the scenes for it, the making of the Terminator. It's mm -hmm. it's very interesting because obviously these people don't know, you know, the actors don't know what's going to become of this movie. Right. But they're still very confident. Mm -hmm. There was a spe specifically um, Michael Bean was. Um, it's I can see the light went out too. Um, so can we cut that out? I mean, we can keep going. Yeah, we can keep going, but I'm saying like... Oh, yeah, we can yeah, cut that out, yeah. Um, uh, I would lost my train of thought. Um, can I go back and say... Yeah. I watched the, the behind the scenes? Cool. Mm -hmm. it, it, it was all the, my entire neighborhood, by the way. Really? <laughs> so oh, I can see the light off from where there was a light on outside. Oh, shoot. Um... So I saw the behind-the-scenes documentary for The Terminator, um, and it's very interesting, too, because these actors that they're interviewing on set don't really know what's going to become of this movie, right? Mm -hmm. and, and their thoughts on James Cameron is kind of interesting, especially Michael Bean, who, who basically says, like, oh, yeah, I knew right away this guy's a genius, he's super mm -hmm. smart, he knows what he's doing, you know, this is a crazy action movie. And then Arnold, they interview Arnold quite a bit, mm -hmm. and it's pretty funny seeing Arnold's reaction. He's like, oh, this is a very different, I can't do an Arnold impression. It's very different <laughs> from, 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 from Conan. It's very different because, you know, because I'm the, I'm the bad guy and I really wanted to do this movie. But, but James uh, talks about how he casted Arnold because he wanted to literally make like an unstoppable force. Like no matter what you do, you can't stop this guy. Mm -hmm. Um, and he embodied that persona mm -hmm. is, is what he saw in Arnold and obviously keeping his, you know, emotions and emotions and action very robotic mm -hmm. was kind of what Arnold was going for. But it's very interesting because they talk about the effects and the practical effects and the action scenes. And this is a different time, man. It's yeah. different from like most of the CGI stuff that was, you know, starting to come out later on. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's incredibly interesting and it shows you what... James Cameron goes into when it comes to sci-fi filmmaking. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's that's the brilliant part about it, right? Is because it, even though it, it can't be like this kind of convoluted thing, it has a very basic through line, right? It, it does deal in the idea of maternity, right? And what does your future decisions, or what does your decisions in the present mean in the future? And how that could affect a woman and, and pregnancy and, and maternity. And, and her son ends up leading a revolution and how... You know, it's, it's it's a very interesting kind of kind of kind of strange concept that um, that if you don't give birth to if you don't give birth to said revolutionary, uh, there there uh, there won't be like you know there will be demise or whatever. So it's just and and but stopping it before it even happens. So it's just really it's just really interesting how 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 it plays with that idea and how something as nasty and ugly as technology as the way technology is portrayed in this film would only come up with, with an idea of going back in time and killing somebody yeah that's yeah. that's that's even the, the greater point of this whole thing is the concept of like who came up with this it's like the robots are like what if we go back in time though right right <laughs> like right. that's some high level thinking bro like that's right. some very 
creative thinking. Right, right, right. <laughs> as far as like, man, if we go back in time and kill his mom, then we won't have this problem. Mm-hmm. But that's that's a very interesting point. That, yeah. that kind of starts out with that. Yeah, I mean, I I I love this movie, and I want obviously it starts off, you know, James Cameron's career and, and jumps him off to greater heights and unfortunately what we get afterwards is the abyss <laughs> um so the abyss oh, came out aliens too right or? oh i'm sorry aliens came out afterwards uh, okay um so here's here's an interesting thing i saw james cameron's ted talk um where he talked about what he wanted to be when he grew up and he said his entire life he he was so always interested in like aliens and like outer space and like weird planets and weird creatures and he was obsessed with that and he learned um in school that there is like another kind of alien world on this planet itself and that's underwater and he talked about how from then on he wanted to be like he got a certification to be a scuba diver like he wanted to be a pro scuba diver and he really enjoyed the alien kind of life that's there that he said that there's species underwater that we still haven't identified um which to me is my cue to nope <laughs> definitely not that's my cue to be yeah. like nope i hate the ocean i've i've i hate like the, the ocean ocean uh-huh. like obviously the beach is fine but the ocean because when i'm on a boat i'm freaking out because i'm like if i fall in there dude a freaking xenomorph is gonna come <laughs> and just be like oh and they just suck me under because yeah. um, I've seen those documentaries that talk about those creepy ass fish mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen them but they're like demons somehow. <laughs> they look so freaky mm-hmm. um, and they're so deep down there that it's pitch black You because the sun doesn't reach down there and it's just um, anyways he talked about that and funny enough he got the sequel to Ridley Scott's pretty pretty uh, you know well received Alien um, and he wanted to kind of take that mentality of like outer space, weird place. Um, and Aliens is a, a lot of people's favorite action movie, favorite movie, favorite uh, sequel. It, it's a it's a pretty significant movie when it comes to um, franchises. Right. Think about what's going on now with Disney and Fox, right? Everyone's talking about what's going to happen to this. What's, I'm like, what's going to happen to Aliens, bro? <laughs> Disney with Aliens? That's not gonna happen. Yeah. They might just kill it, um, but I doubt it because there's too much money in IP these days. Yeah. Um, they could probably make a good Aliens movie. Maybe that's what they could. Maybe, or they're gonna be yeah. like, "Who's this, Mom? I don't know." <laughs> it's just, just like a super Disney fight alien. Right, 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 it's like, right. "Who's at the door?" It's the Xenomorph, and he's like, "Hey, guys." <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Right. Obviously, Disney wouldn't do that. That's stupid. No, but I'm, but I'm saying like, I'd love to see like a xenomorph park at at you know at, at Disneyland. Would that be pretty dope? Like, that would be dope. I still want to go. So, so a friend of mine went to the 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 xenomorph aliens themed um, VR experience, mm-hmm. um, which is I think in Orange County, and uh, I I screamed like I was like, oh my god, I want to go so bad because it's it's a it's a theme VR experience. Where you're like trapped in a spaceship and you you have to get out with your buddies and it's all VR but it's mo- it's motion VR so it's the same people who did the Star Wars one mm-hmm. that it's in that's in Anaheim mm-hmm. and so basically you're walking on an alien ship you have the gun and you're like fighting off Xenomorphs oh, I'm down I I don't care if it sucks because I still want to do it <laughs> but yeah the idea of like a Xenomorph theme thing or a Xenomorph thing I still remember when I went to uh, uh, Halloween Horror Nights. Um, with uh, with cops and Cody, my first time, and I think it was yeah, it was like my I was super fresh to schmoes, mm-hmm. uh, and they were like, yeah, we want to go to Horror Nights. Do you want to come? And I was like, hell yeah, I want to come. And we all agreed that the best maze 
was the was the aliens theme one. It was aliens and predators theme, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that the, the best that was the best one. Mm-hmm. It was so cool because the the obviously the predators helped out too. But the alien stuff, we saw people like come out at you, and then you saw a freaking like uh, ch- chestburster pop out. Like it was really fun. Like that was the best one. And then at the end of the at the end of the maze, you see a giant uh, queen. Mm-hmm. Uh, from aliens really? and it's 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 pretty fun dude and it's like a it's like a obviously like a like a remodeling of it but it's like 30 feet high yeah. so you look up and you're like and it's like reaching down at you and stuff it's like a robot but people like it and yeah. it's really fun <laughs> so maybe you're onto something man maybe Disney would kill it I don't know yeah. well, I, I, I just get afraid I know they, they have a uh, they have a, a part I went to Disney World once upon a time uh, one time I've never been uh, yeah it was, it was it was dope so they have like this one ride that like takes you through a bunch of different movies like the history of movies or whatever and like but it's just like a ride like a boat ride or something I don't know it was over a car ride why I say boat but it was like they take you through Indiana Jones and they take you through Aliens and it's like all these like weird xenomorphs like it's like one of those cave it's like it's like uh, uh, what's that what's that joint it's a small world it's oh, like that okay. but like with, with like not as annoying and bigger and with like all the like you just go through the different worlds of each movie like as you ride through the thing um, so it's pretty dope. So Why I, was that in Disney World? Uh, I don't know. I it's mean, a universal property, isn't it? Oh, they had they had Indiana Jones for sure. They had they had um, Aliens for sure. Um, they had a Fast and Furious show, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was like different. It was all different. It was all this different. This was Disney World. I think. Oh, maybe it was. No, it wasn't Fast and Furious. Sorry, it was another Indiana Jones like stunt show. But it was it was like they had all these different like. Different, different Are you sure properties. this is not Universal Studios? No, no, bro. I'm telling you, it's Disney, bro. <laughs> I was going to well, say, all those properties are <laughs> Well, no, no, no. Well, well, well Indiana Jones is uh, Paramount. Yeah. And then, um, and then the other one is Fox. Uh, and this is Fox. Sure. So, like, they're just going for different... different. I was going to say, but Fast and Furious is Universal. Yeah, 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 yeah. But then, have you know, uh, it wasn't Fast and Furious enough. Yeah. It was something else. Um, but but yeah. it was cool. But it was dope. It was dope the way they had it set up. I'm like, damn, if they had a whole park like this, that'd be pretty dope. Motherfuckers in xenomorph costumes, like walking around, like that'd be pretty amazing. Um, people, people like it, man. I mean, what, what, what? Obviously, I, I've seen a lot of behind the scenes because like, Aliens is my, one of my favorite franchises. Is the Alien franchise? Like my brother and I, my dad loves it too. He's the one who got me up on it. Um, but we we love it. So I, I find it interesting because one of the greatest parts of Alien and Aliens, and, and people will never, you know, everyone agrees with this, is is the design of Geiger. Geiger's design or Giger? Giger? Yeah, H.R. Um, uh, Giger. H.R. Giger is, is, is a, I mean, the one he created is like so unique and so original, so weird, yet cool, yet mm-hmm. steampunk, yet not really steampunk and right. creepy. Mm-hmm. Um and that's the design of a xenomorph too. People love that design. It's one of the best designs in all of Hollywood, in my opinion, when it comes to creature effects. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah. And then I, I know Cameron adjusted the design like slightly. He did uh, to make them look more humanistic, um, which is really fascinating. Um, and he also designed the whole queen right at the end of yeah, the, at the end queen. of the film. He was the he was the person, or not him, but um, Stan Winston uh, was the, was the guy who who, who designed. The whole aesthetic of the queen and everything. Speaking of queen, th- this movie definitely has a theme of motherhood. Oh, definitely, yeah. Is absolutely. that is that what you take out the biggest? Of the yeah, movie? I think that's the biggest part of it because you know we watched the original Alien and the original Alien is a great horror movie in and of itself. It's kind of almost similar to the to the Terminator, the first Terminator, but almost in a in a different kind of way where it revolves around these blue collar trucker dudes who are like up in space or whatever, um, like the below the line, you know, or not the below the line, but the. Uh, 
you know, like mid to like low income, like kind of, you know, poverty, you know, kind of blue collar, have to work for their earnings and stuff like that kind of dudes, which is different than what we see in most sci-fi films. that are like these astronauts or these super elaborate dudes. Um, this one is, is much more rooted in, in, in the like breast belt kind of field um, with with really Scott making the choice of not like identifying characters by like gender or race, but just by casting people in them. So Ripley, um, Ripley was written not as a man or a woman, just as, you know, a character. And then they cast Sigourney Weaver as it. Um, so it doesn't really have any feminine qualities really in the first one, where I feel like the second one amplifies the femininity um, to, to a much higher level. And we speak about mother, uh, motherhood when it comes to the relationship between Ripley and Newt, when you talk about uh, the, the queen and rebirth and evolution, because the whole thing with the xenomorph is a metaphor for um, ev like birth and death, evolution, and all these like, life creation, yeah, like yeah, creation and destruction. You know, um, all these all of these really uh, impactful themes. Um, where and where in the second one that those themes are up amplified through um, the motherhood, the femininity, and all that, and, and all those uh, those kind of things. So they definitely, I think that was definitely more of a, a James Cameron's choice, as we see in, in a lot of his later films. He likes portraying strong women, so he 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 uh, he made the choice of making it more female centric, more maternity focused, and stuff like that. Yeah, and I I saw I also saw behind the scenes for this movie, and and they kind of talk about. But at the same time, not making her some gun-toting, crazy, badass, you know, throwing knives and, like, shooting people. And, right, right. She's right. very much just, like, I just learned how to shoot in the movie because mm -hmm. uh, Michael Bean's character taught her, I forget his name. Right. Movie. I hear um, but, but it's one of those things where he didn't want to make it, like, on crazy, like, you know, Alice in, in the Resident Evil movies. Like, he didn't want to make it, obviously, he didn't quote that. <laughs> right, right. Didn't want to make it, like, a future movie. But like you know what I'm saying, like, right. it's a very different strong female character. It's a strong right. female character in a grounded type way. Right, right. Where she's like she's just trying to figure where she shit goes, out. Where she grows into. Yeah, um, and but she's super smart too. Like she's yeah. the smartest one in the crew, but she's not super smart because she's like you know got you know Lex Luthor intellect or something. But she's mm -hmm. just smart because of what she's been through. Yeah, what she, she experienced knows. in the last movie. Yeah, yeah she she understands that. Um, yeah, I think that's the biggest part of it. And I think that amplifying that quality really makes uh, aliens stand out a lot from Alien sure. um, as well. I, my question for you, though, Ace, I know a lot of people also say that Aliens is very, uh, very much um, a metaphor for like Vietnam warfare in terms Ooh. of like the nature, the, the, the technology versus um, the nature, the, the natural, the environment. Um, but this kind of almost like a revisionist history where the technology does end up uh, winning out um, in, in that war. Uh, do, you, do you think that's something that Cameron is, is, uh, is, is saying here? Because when you look at, when you look at the, the, the creation of those characters in the first Alien, it's very much supposed to represent an Americana, like the average American blue-collar worker. Taking that into the second film, it's like those workers going off to fight against the foreign species on their homeland and their environment. Do you, do you see that comparison? Is sure, like that? I, I can kind of see it, but then again, it's difficult because the xenomorph is such a... Uh, Prometheus, uh, not, not Prometheus, Alien Covenant kind of dives into it a little more, but I feel like it's much more of a... Uh, the fact that they're pure destruction. The fact that they're pure, um, 
vengeance. It's almost like a, a fire. It's, it's, it's very, like you said, in a way it is, like, because it's, it's so natural, but at the same time it's so destructive. So you have that reaction to want to destroy it back, basically. So in a way, yes, because of the nature behind it, but in a way, no, because I don't feel like, you know, comparing Vietnamese to Right, right. No, no, no. I'm not, no, I'm not saying that. I know you're that. not saying that. Saying that. No. I know you're not saying that. But, I'm, but I, that's kind of what I hesitate towards is because of that. But at the same time, I, I want to get into the military aspect of it, especially because I just rewatched this movie with my brother, um, who's never seen it before. Um, and it's so interesting because I'm, I'm talking to him throughout the movie. And that's literally like, it's such a good point. Like if you're going to go into like this, you know, weird planet like bring me some united states marines bro <laughs> like the biggest badasses crazy killers on the planet u.s marines and it's like yes <laughs> please bring me some u.s marines because these guys know how to kill like marines like when it comes to branches of the division of the of the, of the military like a lot of people don't know but marines are like whew, they they basically a lot of marines become special forces people and stuff like that because they're so good at shooting and at killing. Um, and they're specifically trained for that. But that's kind of why I was like, yeah, that's, that would be my call too, bro. <laughs> it's like, we're going into this weird planet, um, you know, outpost, blah, blah, blah. You know, who are you going to take? I'm like, bring me some Marines, bro. I don't want to jump into no, <laughs> protect me, man, please. But it's very interesting because it plays with that fact too. And then the fact that they're so pumped to see action. They just want to shoot shit. Um, throughout the movie, like Vasquez um, and Bill Paxton's character, and the homie who hangs out with Vasquez too—I forget his name—who mm -hmm. dies first. Right. Um, also, something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's very like eager to be like, "Yo, let's shoot some shit, man." Mm -hmm. um, and that's why it's such an interesting point because in the first act of the movie, they make it a point to be like, "You can't shoot." <laughs> and he's like, "Why, man?" <laughs> because of the right, the acid. Mm -hmm. um, and I no, not the acid. The 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 combustion that they said if it, if a, if a oh, firearm right. goes off, it's right. gonna combust. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, it's it's such an interesting perspective to take, you know, the military aspect of this movie and and put him the U.S. kind of in a weird predator type way, but the U.S.'s best killers against, you know, this weird creature's nature's best killer. Which mm -hmm. is the xenomorph? Because mm -hmm. that's all they do is kill, right? Right. And, right. and spread their, you know, egg everywhere. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. What, what did you take away from from the military aspect of this movie? Is no, I think that's a bit, that's a big presence, and that's also what that that lends to the whole like Vietnam analogy thing too, right? Um, but I also think it's <clears throat> I also think it's interesting how how pumped up and how heavy the military force is um, on this foreign planet, considering. How much we know uh, about how much James Cameron cares about uh, cares about the environment. How much he cares about um, you know uh, preserving the lands and stuff like that. So it's kind of the departure from I guess his like normal branch of 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 uh, of, of reassuring environmental filmmaking. But uh, it's interesting how it's portrayed in, in this, where where the military is like a force against that. Um, where, whereas you watch something like Avatar, for example, which came many, many years later, it's almost the exact flip perspective, right? It's the perspective of the aliens fighting back against the military and winning that war. That's very good. So, so it's just it's, it's an interesting place in James Cameron's filmography, and I think that's fascinating because when you look at the two, those two movies, um, Terminator and Term Terminator and um, Aliens, those kind of end up flipping on themselves when later when his later movies like when Terminator 2 comes out is the technology is the good is the good side 
Um, and and Avatar, the environment is is the the, the good guys and the and the, the the foreign you know foreign and relative to alien planet foreign military forces are are the are perceived as the villains. So it's just it represents an interesting place in Jim Jim Cameron James Cameron's life. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, we have to hit on the biggest theme in, in all the alien movies, in my opinion, and probably the one that Ridley Scott really made it a point to to talk about is the basically the corporate overlord type feel mm -hmm. where it's like <clears throat> a product is worth more than a life mm -hmm. and they're willing to be like nah we're good a couple lives cost us this much this product cost us that much mm -hmm. and how you know the whole point of Wayland is to bring they want the xenomorph so bad like in the first one they just want to bring it back mm -hmm. uh, they're like Bring one back because we want to study this shit because this shit is dope mm -hmm. and it's worth way more than, you know, 10, 20, 30 people. Mm -hmm. And in this one, it, come, come, it comes back as well in the version of a military, right? Mm -hmm. Where, where the, 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 the Marines are used as like a tool. And, and the corporate guy, I forget his name in the movie, but he plays a big part, mm -hmm. is like, you know, I'm, I'm using my tool, man. Like, your life is worth shit. Like, I don't care if you die for your country and all this bullshit because I just want to bring this species back. And if that means killing everyone here or everyone has to die, I'm good with that. But there's even that scene where he traps in uh, Ripley and Newt in, in that little corridor and puts in a face hugger in there. And it's just like, hey, you wanted to, the face hugger to breed inside Ripley so you can bring back a xenomorph. I'm like, that's the most effed up <laughs> thing ever. And then uh, Ripley has that famous line where she says, like, you know, it's like, I don't know who's worse, you or the people. Because you don't see them you know, wanting to F someone over for a percentage. And I was like, yo, right, right, that's right. such a good point because it's about the corporate aspect when it comes to life and death situations. Mm -hmm. Like can, like, the, the fact that everything nowadays is about money, it's about processing, and, and sometimes corporations don't care. If they, you know, we see that with car corporations, we see that with a lot of people that it's like, well, these people are gonna die. And they're like, yeah, mm -hmm. oh well, we right. want this more. And, and I think I think that's the biggest part of you know uh, lo looking at this movie in the sense of you know the corporate aspect in relation to the military stuff, right? Um, that's something that's very prominent in today's modern like politics too, right? Like how corporatized the military industrial complex is, how how much private companies and how much that influences. Um, the people who we invade and the weapons that they get paid by the United States government to make for 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 those wars, you know. So um, it's just a whole circle. And by the way, did you hear about the whole thing with the space force? I did. That <laughs> man, oh, oh man. man. I mean, we're gonna see aliens in the real life. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's, Starship Troopers. To me, to me, that's just another. To me, it's just another way of funding. <laughs> Raytheon and Boeing and all these private corporations to, you know, whatever. But um, it's just it's, it's also another way to militarize random shit. Yeah, let's militarize the space. Yeah. <laughs> it's like what? We it's have space. to burn the space with the Empire of the United States. Let's put a military let's base on the moon. moon. And it's like why? Why? <laughs> we like, we have more military bases in, in, in throughout the world than most countries combined you know sure. <laughs> so it's just interesting that we have to now venture into space now what is interesting though i do think it's fascinating that at least there's another renewed interest in in space research in space um and sure. and, 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 and and scientific funding sure um, to some extent um it does feel like a very corporate greedy greedy move though move which you know aligns with what with what this movie has to say about 
it's it's own you know it's some representation of the guns in the military um, because this is this movie came out in 1980 86. 86. this is the uh, you know a lot of people consider the Ronald Reagan era right where guns were cool and uh, you know uh, uh, you know we're getting out of the Cold War but you know a lot of people you know we're getting a lot of these hyper machismo movies at this time that encourage a lot of gun a lot of violence a lot of like military stuff so it's just fascinating that. Uh, this kind of holds within that little pocket of, oh, yeah, let's make shit blow up, even though it's aliens. And that's some complaint for a lot of people, too, right, is how the 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 rules of the universe are kind of altered and adjusted in this movie. Like when, you know, in the first movie, when uh, when an alien's head, like, explodes and the acid hits somebody, that's like a, a huge burn. Like, they're, they're almost dead off of that. Whereas in this movie, somebody shoots an alien and, and they're just like, ah, oh, you know, or they or they get they get like decommissioned off the acid, you know, getting hit with the acid. But it's not it's not like as severe as it is. In, you know why? Because that man is a United States Marine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's kind of why. Yeah, yeah. That's what, that's what it comes down to essentially. So no, but yeah, yeah. I, I think that's and also because they want to keep his character in the movie in order to kill him off later. All right. Um, I think you're talking about Paxton's character, right? Yeah. He's yeah. the one who gets it on the arm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. And, and it's also, I, I don't know, man. I got a lot of personal opinions on, on that kind of stuff because I'm I, I'm very, I'm kind of very pro-military mm. um, or pro-veterans, I guess. I'm more pro-veterans. Pro-veterans yeah, pro is, is, more, is more, I guess, what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, so it's very, it's interesting how when I see more depictions and when I see more movies, how... It, it's never people will never realize the the amount of shit that they put the veterans through and then kind of be like just like oh whatever you're just a tool like you're just something we can toss in a trash can and get another one mm -hmm. you're you're a factory line type shit so it's right. it's very dangerous thinking mm -hmm. and it's the kind of thinking that that goes into the united states government too mm -hmm. I and mean, not just corporations government itself right, right, um, right so it's interesting in this movie but again it, it comes down to like you're right it's like yo this marine is gonna kick some ass like yeah. at the same time it's that feeling that we get in that feel um any last word on aliens no it's dope is this your do you like it better than alien uh i think it's definitely more rewatchable than alien definitely sure. and i think is it a better film than alien um, well, I think Alien is a much better horror movie sure. and a this better, better exercise. Action. I think, yeah, it's a better action movie. I also think the first one was a better exercise in like suspense, sure. I guess. Um, but what I probably will say is the greater achievement is probably Aliens just on the fact that it's one of the only sequels that manages to like wholly expand the universe and still make it and still make it successful and, and, and awesome. And even a lot of people consider Aliens better uh, you know, in terms of like acting wise, plot wise, character development wise, I mean, I think so. Um, the first Alien doesn't really have as much meat in terms of like character. I think this one has a lot, a lot more of that. So sure, that's yeah. a fair point. Yeah, I mean, I, I love Alien. I'm not, I'm very partial towards Ridley Scott, who's like my favorite director, probably. Um, but yeah, Aliens is great too. I can't deny it. And obviously, it gave us one of the best. I mean, we talked about it quite a bit, but one of the best female characters ever, with uh, Ellen Ripley, and and man. Did I love me some Sigourney Weaver that <laughs> Like, dude, it's hard for me personally. I'm sorry, guys. It's hard for me to rewatch it and not be like, damn. Damn, Sigourney. <laughs> I'll be like that piranha <laughs> in that poster. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. Uh, but yeah, I, I love Sigourney Weaver, and I think she's great. And 
She definitely brings a lot to these movies. Mm-hmm. Um, now let's talk about The Abyss, which I was trying to get to beforehand. Um, RB3, beforehand, you told me, before we started this episode, RB3 came up to me and he's like, hey man, I just want to say, let's save like a good 45 minutes on The Abyss, because oh. I'm an expert in this oh, movie. Oh, really? Um, yeah. And I was like, RB3, sure, man. So uh, here's a, I'm going to give you the mic, right? <laughs> Everybody, The Abyss is the greatest motion picture ever made of all time. I'm just kidding. I haven't seen it. Oh, so this is the one. This is the one James Cameron movie I have. What excuse seen. do you have, RB3? Hey man, it's my birthday. Yeah, I was gonna say it's my, it my birthday. Hey, um, uh, just turn 21, everybody. I was gonna do a whole thing. I literally have. I was gonna do a whole thing of like bringing a beer on the show and be like, "Hey, this is gonna be my first sip of alcohol." But oh yeah, I, I totally real, yeah, I totally realized I, I drove here, so. You know, I'm not trying to catch a DUI on my yeah. first. <laughs> but uh, one day, people, when I won't, when I when I don't drive here, I will take a sip, take a sip or two. Uh, you know, okay, yeah, um, we're gonna do that. By the way, I mean, this is also totally off topic, but I'm finally wearing the shirt that's in the thumbnail. Um, I know a lot of people like oh, say shit. I never actually worn the shirt itself. Uh, is that really show. comments you get? <laughs> like one person, like uh, a long time ago. When we still have viewers, you know what I mean? Uh, but like, it's just funny. Uh, I'm fine. I'm wearing the shirt again. I don't know if that one viewer is still out there. Um, man, I didn't even see Tony Wanger in the com- in the comments last. Yeah, week, man, man, we're losing them, man. We're losing yeah, them. Yeah, man. We're losing them to uh, Tony to other other podcasts. Damn you, Wangers! Yeah, Wangers and critically yeah, acclaimed. Schmodown rundown. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I guess. <laughs> Either way, wait, I mean, it's What's those fine. after guys been, man? I haven't, I haven't seen them in a long time. Uh, I, don't, I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, they're on a different network now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, don't even post on, they don't even post on the channel anymore. Yeah, I, I, don't, yeah. I don't know anything about yeah, that. Definitely. That's all you, man. That's yeah. all you, bro. Yeah, I know. They're, they're probably like, we're going to pay these guys. <laughs> yeah. Let's we, get these guys jobs. You know, and we're like, bruh. We should. We we've should. been there for years, though. <laughs> Yo, we should, yo, we should, uh, you know what we should do, bro? We should, we, we, we gotta, uh, start a beef with Ryan Snelling and Jay Wood. So we can actually get people's yeah. attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so Ryan Snelling, Jay Williams, if you're listening, uh, well, if somebody send them, somebody take out this clip and send it to him, uh, you guys show us weak. Lame. I'm starting beef with y'all. This is beef season. Ryan Snelling still haven't returned my text. And we're, uh, we're doing it for the views. Yeah, we're doing it for the views. I got this track coming for both of y'all. Stay tuned. There you go, guys. There you go. The Abyss by James Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this movie, it's funny because I, I once again from the TED Talk that I heard from James Cameron, he talked about this movie and he talked about it literally as a passion project. He said, mm-hmm. I really wanted to make... My my biggest passion has always been scuba underwater diving, and I wanted to make a movie about that. And then I was like, why don't I just make a horror movie about that? Mm-hmm. Talking about what got me interested inside this world to begin with, which was the crazy weird creatures that you can find down there and that not a lot of people know what's down there mm-hmm. because you can't see shit down there. Mm-hmm. Um, so he decided to do that and make this story about a horror story about how this weird kind of liquid moving creature is uh is attacking this crew basically um and that was the passion project he has but he admittedly says too that like no one really saw the movie but what's great about this movie too is that this is his his um connection with ilm Mm. this started it because he's he's the creature in this movie the weird liquidy effect is what eventually moved towards which is t2 right which is the liquid metal and um is it the T-1000? T-1000, yeah. T-1000. And that is 
pretty much the biggest saving part of this movie. <laughs> Sorry to all the Abyss fans out there. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's not, it's not, well, you know, it's, I think it's interesting that this movie takes place on the submarine. You know, you, you mentioned early, you know, you mentioned uh, when we talked about aliens, how his fascination with underwater um, stems from his fascination in outer space and seeing like foreign creatures. Um, I think this movie kind of explores that. It's kind of like an, the first alien. It's kind of like the first alien but underwater, right? I mean, that's, sure. That's and it, it also like, comes with that. You're right. I mean, the it's Navy SEALs. It's it's that SEAL mentality. It's that kind of like facing a, a an unstoppable force with another unstoppable force, which is the United States military, basically. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's very that's a huge portion of the movie as well. I mean, right. that's super similar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So it's just interesting that you know he went from doing um, aliens to kind of going back to the original, you know, really Scott kind of influences. Uh, for this one, um, he loves like James has very much made it a point to say that he loves scaring people. Like it's mm -hmm. one of his favorite things. Like he loves creeping them out. He loves scaring them. He loves using gore as a way to just disgust people. Mm -hmm. um, so it's very interesting that the way he chooses to do that, and that's a skill too. I mean, making something scare you is a is a very significant skill. Obviously, a lot of people have been used jump scares in the past few years as a, as a tool for that. But it's much if you're a horror director. Your talent, like you're, if you're making good horror shit, and you're, you're good at it. Right. Um, but yeah, for me, I, I kind of want to jump this conversation into talking about his his um, influence on effects. Because right. I mean, obviously, Lucas has a lot, Spielberg has a lot, but James Cameron also brings in a portion of it, right. um, specifically with T two, but also his other movies. Like James Cameron is obsessed with technology, and he's obsessed with using that technology to tell further stories and to kind of blow people's minds. Mm -hmm. But uh, he said that this is what got him on that train. Mm -hmm. This movie, the creation of this movie, to, to create certain effects that we've never seen before. Mm -hmm. What do you feel like his influence is on what we're seeing now in 2018? I mean, right. it's still, we still see a lot I mean, of what James Cameron started. I mean, absolutely. I mean, we talk about the, uh, um, the liquid effects, like the, you know, of course you talk about Terminator 2 being, being, um, the one that kind of brought that more into the mainstream. Um, but it's still like, I mean, we still see those kind of effects being used today. Um, you know, the, the, the CG, you know, morphing uh, a, a human into a CGI kind of, into a CGI kind of character. Um, that was kind of revolutionary for his time as well. Um, and we see a lot of those kinds of things done in, in, in X-Men movies, for example, right, with Mystique. So um, definitely he has influence on that front. Um, because he he was so um, hold uh, can hold on making sure that the technology worked to suit his vision. I feel like you know a lot of directors don't have that opportunity to do that. A lot of directors um, aren't don't have the budget or the fight to like make you know kind of encourage this push of visual effects. But he he managed to do it in such a uh, in such a cool and interesting way. I mean, uh, when you really watch Terminator Two, that liquid metal effect only really happens a few times but it's used very efficiently you know what i mean and, and and it's very concise and you can clear it's a very clear vision of what they're going to do on set and how they transported that onto uh, onto the digital platforms and then of course and when we talk about his later films is particularly something like avatar i mean that's the biggest like breakthrough in, in technology when it comes to like the motion capture the performance capture technology 3D. the 3d the you know the, the cgi environments yeah so um, all of the, all of that uh, plays a big big influence into what he does 
uh, yeah, his movies. And he's passionate about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that he keeps tinkering with technology and making things slightly better and easier and, and, and more accessible, but also making things, uh, you know, adding another layer to the cinematic experience and making it further distinct from um, any other form or media uh, out there. So. Absolutely. And it's crazy because it's one of those things, too, that a lot of a lot of directors nowadays, a lot of filmmakers want to kind of re- regress. I wouldn't call it regress, but kind of go back to the good old days, go back to the classic film type and use like more practical effects and more you know practical things in film and keep give it a more timeless 70s 80s vibe and directors like lucas directors like cameron kind of want to go as far as you can and push technology as far as you can in the digital platform too so it's interesting to see how you know digital has has gotten such a negative response and in 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 a way it's it's earned because a lot of stuff was too digital um, but in a way, it's like, man, we just saw the most CGI movie ever mm-hmm. with Avengers Infinity War. Yeah. <laughs> and it's and people love that movie. And it's crazy uh, how it's like, practical effects, practical. You just saw, you love this movie, and it's the most CGI movie ever. <laughs> people love The Jungle Book. That shit was like all a computer. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting uh, where like, when it comes to like people, fans' reactions and critics yeah. responding to the digital atmosphere. And it's so funny because I've, I've been doing like a Star Wars deep dive um, on my personal end mm-hmm. and, and, and reading reviews of the first Star Wars, that was like the biggest takeaway mm-hmm. from people. They were like, this is about a weird wizard, but man, then that lightsaber fighter, man, that, that chase scene with the Falcon mm-hmm. is crazy. Like you gotta see this movie because of the effects right. kind of thing. And that kind of was what Avatar was too. And eventually we'll get to that because I remember people were telling me, it's like, dude, just go watch it to see the crazy shit that you're going to see in 3D or you're going to see the crazy effects that you're going to see mm-hmm. um, because they created this whole CGI world. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people were like telling me to go watch it just because of that. Mm-hmm. That was like literally my brother saw it opening night and I didn't see it opening night and that's what he told me. He's like, just watch it for the effects. <laughs> I was like, all right. But, uh, but yeah, let, that leads into our conversation from Terminator 2. Now I want to talk to you First of all, obviously, this is a great conversation about sequels, but I, I want to talk to you about your your experience with, with this movie. Because I'm assuming you didn't see it, like, no, no, in no, the no. 90s. No, 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 no. <laughs> When you were two or three. <laughs> no, but I mean, I probably saw it pretty early on, like, when I was, like, seven, eight, something like that. Okay. Um... I mean, I've always, I mean, like I talked about my, my grandmother being a big action fan. Um, she also really enjoyed Arnold Schwarzenegger. So uh, this was definitely one that I saw. And, and But like the first time I like watched it, watched it proper, and I guess like fully understood what I was watching, um, I was really blown away by this movie, man. I mean, like even, uh, I mean, just the whole opening act, like the whole thing of like the, the Terminator coming back and like you don't know if he's good or bad or um but he, he, like the, the scene where uh they're they're chasing um what's the what's the what's the i always forget the, the guy john connor no john connor oh john connor yeah. yeah when they're chasing when they're chasing him around in the mall and then uh arnold arnold pulls out the 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 giant rifle out of, yeah, out of the, the box of roses yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the out of man that's just so badass it's like you, you you see like the character turn you know what i mean like right in that moment and you start to understand and feel them more, and then the movie almost becomes like an Iron Giant. Well, I guess 
the Iron Giant took from Terminator 2. But <laughs> like that kind of story, right? Like the man, um, the man and the machine working together. Uh, so it's and, really and the boy, basically. Yeah, too. the boy. Yeah, the boy. Softening the boy. up the machine. Yeah, right, right, right. How childhood innocence can bring a whole new new layer of thinking to machines that they probably wouldn't have through, I guess, internet culture and stuff like that that they'll end up absorbing. But yeah, it's just so fascinating how this, uh, how, how, how we see a, a character change in development through uh, an animatronic, not animatronic actor, but like a, a, an animated, you know, uh, character through something like the T-800. It's the T-800. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's just totally super dope. And especially following the original, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, that that's like you just said about Aliens. This this movie does the same. If any if anything, it does it better, in my opinion, because it takes so it takes that like you said your 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 connection to the the T eight hundred, and you're like, oh shit, you know, the evil guy's back, and it's like, no, it turns out he's the good guy, and he's trying to stop this, and it turns out you can kind of cheer for the killer robot. If he's on different different side of the team, right. so it's following up the the original and the ideas and the feelings that the original gave you, and kind of making you turn it on its head and yeah. make you feel different things too. So it's yeah. very interesting in that effect too. Yeah. Um, obviously, I'm going to talk a lot about the T1000 in this movie because um, previously I said Titanic was my first experience. I I misspoke. Um, it's yeah. T2, and as a kid, this movie as a as a child. Um, watching this movie, my biggest takeaway was the T-1000. Yeah. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. Liquid Metal. Um, I would call him Liquid Metal Man all the time. <laughs> and, uh, and it's one of those things where how do you destroy a machine that can just reconstruct itself in a liquid phase? Like you can't shoot it, it can shapeshift, it can take form. Like I thought it was a cool... like. The fact that it can make like little blades with its hand, like yeah. I still take that aesthetic and use that um, with my further creativity as a kid. Because as a kid, I was obsessed with um, Carnage um, in the oh, Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Spider-Man the Animated Series. It's Carnage was the same. He would make like an axe out of his hand. He would make a sword out of his hand. He would make like a ball spike out of like he would make different weapons as an extension of his body, almost like in a liquid form. That, that aesthetic, that feel was like an obsession of mine. I was obsessed with that and I, I would create characters and I created and draw characters and wrote characters that had that same power set. That power set to me was the coolest thing ever. I love the idea of like having, and I still love it, like it's weird, but I still love it. The idea of having um, someone get in a shoot off with you and you're standing there like this and you can just be like, and have, the, have a spike, just <laughs> stab him in the heart and then bring him back. Like that to me, that aesthetic of having extensions in your arms and forms that you can manipulate, the coolest thing ever. And I'm nerding out so hard and I'm sorry guys. <laughs> but it really impacted me. Like I, yeah. I still take it with me. And I, I made comic book characters, like original comic book characters when I was like 12 that based on that power set. Mm, yeah. That's how much I loved it. <laughs> right, right. I mean, it's different. It's definitely a new thing, a new layer to bring to uh, that. And I think it's also, I mean, commentary on the evolution of technology, right? How um, the the newer technology is a, is a lot more sleeker, a lot more uh, has a lot more fluidity, and has 
more features that can also again come to the behest of our society right? but also yeah. be used as a weapon be right? used as weapons too yeah and, right. and, and as a defense tool against people trying to destroy that too. Right, right it's like right. oh no i have i found a way i evolved so much in a way that not only do i know a better way to kill you i know a better way to defend myself from you killing me mm. that's even creepier right it's like it's the concept of hacking a computer and the computer hacking you back right. you're like no no this is crazy because i'm trying to kill you and and you already learned how to kill me <laughs> So that that is an interesting portion itself too. Yeah, yeah, right. I thought also think it's fascinating that um, this you know this movie kind of avoids the usage of guns and killing, and 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 in those kinds of ways in terms of kind of walks back what the original Terminator did in terms of being like this hyper violent thing. This one's much more of like, hey, violence is not cool, man. You know, don't use violence. And that's like the rule that John Connor gives him. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Don't no kill killing. Anybody. Yeah, no killing. Yeah, right from the beginning. So it's a lot less bloodshed in this one than it is compared to the first one. But it's a lot more of a struggle of survival, right? It's a much stronger survival story. And that's where you see uh, Linda Hamilton, Linda, Ham Linda Ham Hamilton's character, Sarah Connor, come into the play, right? She's super, she's been locked up for a super long time, you know, declared mentally insane because she um, claims to have, you know, seen, you know, uh, robots from the future, which you know, actually happened to her, but tell it to anybody else, you're gonna sound crazy, right? So uh, it's just it's just fascinating commentary on how that how that kind of prison system or that 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 kind of institutionalization kind of breaks her down and makes her become this like hyper uh, hyper strong and, and and masculine kind of woman and mother who's just trying to survive and see her son. So yeah, it comes back to motherhood, man. It's yeah. almost like James Cameron has a thing for it. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Something I mean, we see that in Avatar too. Yeah, it, it's it's definitely one of those things that he he what can turn a woman uh, a mild-mannered soft-spoken regular you know wait waitress into a robot killing machine that sarah connor turned not sarah yeah sarah connor turns into mm -hmm. it's one of those questions that it's like well if it's if it's inspiration or if it's determination to protect your son mm -hmm. then she's going to do whatever it takes even turn into a weapon herself mm -hmm. So it's a very interesting point when it comes to that, too. And it's also like the use of children, too, which is always interesting because it's a Mr. hit or miss kind of kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But you use the child to spark the innocence, but also make the audience respond so much more to the tension mm -hmm. because you just don't want the kid to die. Obviously, first of all, because he's John Connor and second of all, because right. he's a kid because right. you feel bad. So when he's obviously being chased the whole movie because it's a chase movie, essentially, right. um, it's one of those things where you're like you cheer even harder because mm -hmm. you're not just cheering for you know one robot to escape another you're cheering for that robot to protect mm -hmm. it's the it's the concept of um being reprogrammed to not kill but protect mm -hmm. which is very interesting too and it yeah. also comes back to the parentage because it essentially becomes parents for john connor mm -hmm. is a t-800 he becomes a parent because a parent's first job with a child is to protect the child Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, absolutely and, and that's kind of the development that we see throughout this this movie for uh, for Sarah Connor and of herself right because not having not being able to um, 
you know, interact with her own son, like, kind of leaves this level of detachment for both him and her. Like, for for uh, John Connor, he feels uh, betrayed and left behind um, throughout the beginning of that entire movie. He's rebellious. He's he's running away from his from his adopted parents, um, and he's just responding negatively to everything. But as he starts to build a um, maternal relationship with his with Sarah Connor, um, she she starts to understand. Uh, he starts to understand. Um, what she is going through and, 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 and build up that love and appreciation the same way that he's building a love and appreciation for the T1, T-800 itself. Um, not necessarily as like a, not necessarily, but not necessarily as a father figure, but as that male role model in his, in his, in his life, which is weird because he's being raised by a robot, essentially, <laughs> at least in, at least in this section of time in this movie. He befriends a robot, I should say, at least, but uh, it's just it's just fascinating that that becomes like his almost new kind of adoptive family, not new adoptive family. I mean, that's his biological mother, but his after his uh, adoptive parents are killed, he he has his original family, which is almost another fascinating you know metaphor in and of itself. Where uh, the first movie had um, the human come back and save the world, the second one had the robot, the older generation robot. Um, you know how and how um, how um, John Connor. And the Michael Bean character in, in the first movie, uh, I, can't, I can't remember his name either. Kyle Reese. Kyle Reese. Kyle Reese. How 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 John how 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 Kyle Reese uh, like kind of fills in how how the Terminator kind of fills in the role for for uh, Kyle Reese in this one. You know, so it's just it's cool. Yeah, it goes both ways, right? Yeah. Because Kyle Reese is his actual dad, right? And and, and he came back in time, but now. Someone who came back in time is representing his dad. Right, 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 um, right. I think the biggest thing from this movie too is is I, I, I this actor is like everywhere, but the guy, the science aspect of this movie is super interesting. Oh, right, right. Um, the so doctor, yeah. The actions of the first Terminator mm-hmm. led to the destruction of what he was initially, you know, going for. Right. So it's one of those things where going back in time actually sparked. The destruction of the world, right, right, because right. of the technology and the use of that technology and learning from future technology and how future technology inspired current technology, which is actually a funny little theory that a lot of people have when it comes to right, like, right, right, the pyramids and shit like that. Right. It's like, how did we get that kind of technology in this era? It must be, you know, future aliens or some shit. Right. You know, there's a lot of conspiracy theories about that. Um, it's a, it's a fun little thing when it comes to technology of the time being so superior to anything we've ever seen it must be <laughs> someone from the future went to the past and gave it to us and you know i think that's 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 funny in the sense that we uh it's that whole cause and effect theory and when it comes to time to, to time travel right how um how uh like the time travel paradox where uh you go back causing event in the past leading to the events in the future that influence the events in the past right it's like a non-stop what what came first the chicken or the egg yeah um so that's an interesting kind of question that's brought up here and the consequences of uh the doctor i can, I can never forget the, the, the doctor's um, name miles dyson miles dyson who played by joe morton and he was in a Justice League too, right? Yeah, he yeah. He's in up. everything. That guy's like ageless, man. Yeah, yeah. he was like what ninety one, ninety two. Yeah, man. So he's he's been in a lot of movies. I think, I, I think it's dope that they cast him in Justice League as the father for uh, Cyborg. For Cyborg. That's yeah. a good one. You're yeah. right. <laughs> that's, that's nice. Uh, but yeah, no, that, absolutely. So yeah, they 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 used uh, they used um, 
that that whole paradox as the kind of baseline for this movie and ultimately resulting in in uh, what the later films will ultimately come to. And it's also an, a question as far as like is time written kind of thing, right? Where it's like the the T eight hundred Arnold's character wants to kill him because of the actions he commits. He's going to commit, mm-hmm. and not the actions he's committed already in his life. Mm-hmm. Comes back to the whole, you know, minority report type thing, where it's like a crime I haven't committed yet, mm-hmm. um, and being judged for that, or a potential crime that I can possibly do. Um, so it's interesting as far as like changing a future which you f- you feel like it's determined, but it's not determined, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Which is the big theme, and obviously all the Terminator movies. Um, is the apocalypse inevitable? Is kind of going to take over the world regardless of the actions we take now? Mm-hmm. Mr. RB3. <laughs> I mean, you know. But, but it's a bigger philosophical question, right? Because right, 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 we're looking right. at stuff like, you know, the environment right now, and we're, we're determining it's like, well, if we, if we take action, it's like a lot of scientists say it's regardless of any actions we take. Um, or when it comes to, you know, the government right now, when it comes to, you see what I'm saying? Like every decision we make now can affect the future or maybe it won't affect the future. Maybe the future is inevitable. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's a compelling point. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, it just depends on like the, the, what, what you choose to believe, right? If you think that, you know, uh, if you believe in destiny, if you believe that, Things are gonna happen no matter which way uh, our actions take us, or you're gonna. Really but wouldn't that create apathy, though? Do you think that creates apathy within society? I the, mean, the, the fact that we're like, if if we kind of give up on the on our future, on our future future kids, and generations yeah. from now, because they're not born yet. That's a lot of, especially Americans, but that's a lot of people who were like, eh, what kids? I'm I'm just living for me. And that's the mentality of like, what about the future kids? What about your future generations? Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the apathy that it creates. Well, I mean, yeah, that's I mean, that's that's a big part of it too. But then there's also the people who believe in personal choice too, right? Who believe that personal choices, like the what 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 your choices are, influence your future instead of like your future already being written. I mean, that's kind of the whole argument there too, right? So, um, I mean, I guess it just really depends on what, what side of the fence. What about on. what about the the, the I, I'm talking about philosophical stuff now, but whatever. What about the the concept of science? What about the concept of intelligence? What about the people who choose to ignore something that's scientifically accepted? And there's a lot of people. A lot, a lot of politicians that are denying like actual science. But I feel uh, like those politicians. In my, this is my opinion, are denying it because he know, they know that their supporters oh. deny it. That's why. Oh, I don't think it's their supporters. I think it's their, their money. Their, their money supporters. Okay. They're the big oil is, you know, is, is, you know, in particular is something that's like, hey, if you shut up about doing this green energy stuff, we'll give you a little more money on the back end because that's how their business is going to sustain, right? If all of the technology and all of our environmental work started implementing regulations to these oil companies, that's going to cost them money. That's going to cost them staff, supply, all that kind of stuff. If we if we uh, started developing technology in terms of green technology, in terms of uh, solar panels, you know, wind wind windmills, and all these alternative forms of energy, um, then the you know then of course 
the oil companies are going to be out of luck because a lot of people are going to see that their energy bills are getting a lot lower and they can start converting to like electric electric vehicles, which is going to totally kill gasoline. So stuff like that, I think, is the biggest reason why a lot of politicians are just turning the other way. But, you know, a lot, I feel like a lot of common people don't understand the science either because uh, they're not being educated enough for it. And that's where I think that's why, because it's not it's not like it's not up for debate. Like it's not like the global warming is real 97 percent of certi of certified i think it, i think it was something like 94 to 97 percent of certifiable scientists um you know have uh you know peer-reviewed each other's work when it comes to this uh to this uh, uh, uh climate change issue and all of them pretty much agree like and the ones that don't agree are usually the ones who are funded and researched by the big oil corporations so um, yeah, I, I, I was so, literally about to say that when it comes down to education, right? I yeah. think education to me is, is the most important thing that a society can have because education can lead to informed decisions, which right. I feel like sometimes they don't have, they make decisions, but they're misinformed right. or, or they're mistaken. Um, and that can bring danger into society. I feel like that's what's going on now personally. But at the same time, if I'm playing um, the devil's advocate, I can say to you, that's that's a fair point, but what about the jobs you're going to cost the people who work at these oil companies? What about the jobs you're going to cost us right now in order to s stop something that is a potential future for other people's jobs, right? Well, yeah. And, and also I can counter that by saying it may be happening, but the big debate now going on, I feel personally, is not necessarily is it real, is can humanity do anything about it kind of thing. Well, we get, should we spend billions of dollars doing all this stuff for, like, goes back to the Terminator conversation for anyone who tuned out, to stop a future that's inevitable? You see what I'm saying? Right. I mean, I, 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 I mean, humans have to be held accountable for sure. our actions that we're committing on this planet, right? I mean, this is, you know, it's not, it's not, it's, it's not just a thing that's just happening you know, randomly, when you look throughout, the, I mean, the earth has existed through billions of years. Why are we reaching this point of, 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 of losing what, what, what the, what the planet is, um, just in this short period of time that humans have been existing, you know, not even doubt, you know, that maybe a few thousand years, like 10,000, 20,000 years or whatever that humans have existed on this earth as compared to the billions and billions of years this earth has existed previously. Um, the, the, the factor here is humans and the factor is that we are destroying the planet and that we have to look at the ways that we can fix it. And when you talk about those jobs, I mean, the jobs are important. I feel like that's why we have to start converting to clean energy jobs, right? Because we take now, we, if you, and I think you're going to create more jobs and higher paying jobs and, um, more, you know, jobs that require more education, um, you know, to, to, to fill in those roles, which it's good because for one, it boosts, it boosts, uh, you know, boosts green energy, it boosts, you know, clean environment, environmental stuff. It also boosts, you know, like, like I said, education, right? You, you know, if companies started apprenticeship programs for, for people coming in and working for these places that, that, that it'll, it'll lead to a lot more, it'll lead to a lot more work. And, you know, and, and, and there, you know, we shut down an oil plant and, and have solar plants throughout, you know, solar or hydrogen or, windmills you definitely create a lot more spread out jobs that way so yeah i mean obviously that's it's a it's a whole different conversation as well but i i also feel like this movie brings up the conversation of technology right, right. and it also brings up the conversation of responsibility 
generational responsibility where it's like what does a generation choose to do with a certain technology that is just taking off right and obviously that comes from uh dr dyson in this movie um when it comes to the certain technology that's being developed um it's very interesting and i know i'm going to bring up another real world thing but i feel like it connects you know what's funny i saw a report um i think a, about a month or a month about a month ago um talking about china like i don't know if you know this but china is not they've china's currently developing its a technology that can literally have cameras everywhere mm. and cameras that will will so the big example that the report used was china has a huge problem with jaywalking and jaywalking is illegal but now with this new camera identification system they can see the person scan the person's face do a facial recognition see where they live see what their job is see everything else and then send them the fine through the mail wow. by the way we caught you jaywalking at 2:22 p.m. here's a photo have a good one pay the $300 fine wow <laughs> like that is the creepiest thing ever but the but the government of china is using that as a way to determine uh uh good behavior So this report was very funny because I I forget what outlet covered it but an outlet covered it and said is, is are we going to live in a black mirror world where um apparently if you keep doing that and if you keep breaking the law you get a score and your score starts to get lower and oh, lower. Oh yeah, I got the score thing. Yeah. That it, it goes from with it goes oh, with that. Yeah. So it goes where like you commit a crime, you toss trash uh, not in the trash can, you do something that can mess up your score. and that score based system is going to determine certain things that you're allowed to use the train the bus basic human yeah, things the airports. the airports stuff that you want to use in order to live your life you're going to be giving if you have a low enough score you're going to be determined that mm-hmm. funny enough the biggest company in China that's doing it you know what their name is skynet oh really mm-hmm. oh wow okay. and it's so funny because they they said oh yeah we chose that name because we thought it was going to be funny and cool because we're going to be the positive version of Skynet. And I'm like, "Bro, you ain't no positive version." Definitely, definitely implementing what Skynet wants. But know? if if China China is very different than the United States because it has a different type of government, but at the same time, I can see that happening in maybe 50, 40 years or something. I I I can maybe 50 years. I'll put it. But it's one of those things where a movie a movie by James Cameron can inspire a company to take that idea and say like eh, it looked bad in the movie but we can make it good though right yeah. <laughs> yeah so it's an interesting point of of as far as how technology we have the technology to facially recognize these people and to track everyone and to make companies require them if you're going to work here you have to sign up with a system or something like that right that can be the way to do it um and that's the danger of technology that they're facing in this movie which is what Skynet is doing to make these uh terminators basically right 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 so that that's a big theme i don't know if you take right. that as much no, as i take it i mean that as big yeah i mean you're breaking news to me bro with this little, <laughs> little yeah yeah i'll talk to you about it afterwards too I'll, yeah. i'll show i'll show you the articles and the reports but it's creepy as f i think they said 2020 is like their official um 2019 or 2020 that they're officially going to make that like a China wide. Yeah, so that's like, a, all over China because they're doing it right now in certain districts, but they're they're going to make it all over China, which is like China's like 
the biggest country in the world. Right, 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 <laughs> so right, it's like, right. yikes. That's, that's wild. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, surveillance, I mean, that's, that's a big thing that we're dealing with in the U.S. too, right? True. Um, I think that's a big theme in this next movie, which, uh, you know, is True Lies. True Lies. Let's yeah. get into it. Starring Mr. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, this is probably the true, the only like true action movie that James Cameron has yeah, ever made. Just I would agree with that. Straight up action film, right? Um, I mean, this one is more about it's, it's, it's kind of the same setup as uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, right? Like these, the, the husband and wife. They're both they're both spies, and they both have like these undercover <laughs> operations to if one is cheating on the other and all this kind of stuff. Uh, it's just super fascinating and 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 and, and weird and crazy. Uh, but I really, I really, uh, I really dig this movie, man. Yep. This one is much more of a fluff piece, I feel like, but it's it's so awesome, it's so weird. Like, you think it holds up? Uh, I I think it holds up. Yeah, I really enjoy it. Um, I love the scene when Jamie Lee Curtis is like doing the whole dance show in front of Arnold. <laughs> and, uh, Jesus, Jamie Lee Curtis, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she, Jesus Christ. she was she was she was looking good back then. Um, <laughs> She's looking good now, bro. Uh, oh yeah, still, still do, still do. Um, also, <laughs> I was going to go back to the piranha. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what I said about uh, Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, <laughs> Sigourney Weaver. Though. Yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> um, but yeah, this one. I also, I also really love the scene, and this is like really, this is a really silly scene. But I think like a lot of comedies actually like took from this moment. Like when, um, when, like he, when Arnold is driving with uh, the dude in the car, and, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I was banging this totally hot chick," da, 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 da. and like, of course, he's talking about like Arnold's wife, and like, you just go to like the whole, like the, the the whole thing where like Arnold punches him in the nose, and he's like bleeding out and all this stuff, um, and it's just like a dreams, and it just cuts back. It's just like they're normally driving. It's like a dream dream sequence. Oh, I don't even yeah. know what the scene I'm talking about. Yeah, I know exactly. What yeah, you're talking yeah, about. yeah, yeah. I don't know. To me, that's, that's like, what he wants to do, but he's not doing. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. It's just super. It's just super funny to me. I, I, I don't know if I mean, I'm sure other movies that did that. Before oh, there's that. A, there's a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. For me, that movie like really like hit like landed that for me like really hard. Um, but yeah, to, yeah, this movie is, is 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 funny and brilliant. So I really appreciate it. What do you think about the biggest criticism of this movie? Necessary not. Not the biggest one, but the depiction of the terrorists and the depiction of foreign. Oh right, 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 right. What do I you mean, think about that? Yeah, I mean that's 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 always going to be a problem. It's always problematic when we. And talk the timing about. when this movie came out too is very interesting because it came out in a uh, ninety four. Mm. So it's a kind of because in ninety seven I believe or ninety yeah like ninety six ninety seven I forget when uh, Osama bin Laden's first. Uh, terrorist attack was I think mm. it was ninety seven or some, mm. something around that that time, yeah. uh, late nineties is when he was starting to pick up some steam. Right, in the right, East. right. I mean that's when it stopped being funny. I mean at that point, but I mean it wasn't funny to begin with, and those depictions of these foreign terrorists is like very hard, uh, you know, very awful and and, sure. and and hateful and stuff like that. But uh, I mean I, that's just I guess that's the, that's the story they they want to tell. During that time, I mean, during that during the eighties and nineties, and it works, that was right? all of them. Yeah, I mean, that was all of the movies. If it wasn't like Middle Eastern peoples, it was Russians and, and stuff like that. So it's it's a, it's an interesting question, right? When it comes to um, creating terrorists and creating villains in movies and making them foreigners and choosing what country. For for many years, it's been um, Russia, Russians, mm-hmm. you know, Russian spy, Russian agent. There's a ton of movies that make. Russian bad guys, like mm-hmm. Russian bad guys, is almost like a, yeah, it's almost like a term now. Like people know what it's that a cliche. is. It's a cliche. Yeah. That's a perfect example. Um, so Russian bad guy is an example. Um, so it's interesting to see the development of now going into the Middle Eastern bad guys. Mm-hmm. And I know Arnold did a movie. I forget the name of the movie, but it was it was 
Colombian drug lord bad guys or Colombian military bad guys, which is funny because I'm Colombian. Um, and it's something that we take kind of personally. <laughs> Not necessarily. The reason why, and also talking about other movies, I've talked to you very openly and I've talked about this podcast about uh, Breaking Bad. Making making drug cartels, drug drug cartels, drug cartels, drug cartels, all Mexican. Like even the movie that's coming out um, or that came out, Superfly. Superfly. Yeah, and it's like this cool, you know, hip hop gangsters versus Mexican gangs, Mexican cartel. Like it's always the Mexican cartel to the point where it's like, oh my god, we get it. <laughs> We're evil. But it's one of those things where you're not evil. Yeah, no, no. But what I'm saying is like, after a while, because I'm. I watch a lot of shows that has that, and I'm cool with it. And Breaking Bad's a great show, but it's one of those things where after a while you're like, "Can we do something else? Can Latinos do something else, or are we just gonna cut people's heads off?" You know what I'm saying? Like, is that really gonna be our depiction for movies in the past 20 years? Like, it's been that way for a while. Um, so it's interesting to pick foreign villainers, and you always try to make it. I don't feel like they're necessarily coming from a bad place. The directors that do this stuff, but it's a very interesting point when it comes to always depicting people that way or mm -hmm. constantly or seeing it in the media and, and seeing it covered by certain news cycles and then seeing it in movies and fiction it's it's almost like a re reassert this feeling to put that feeling inside americans to feel that certain way because when it comes from the media and it comes from your fiction and your popcorn fun movies mm -hmm. it starts to kind of depict yeah, your lines yeah, yeah, yeah. Your, your depiction on what you feel towards these foreigners basically mm -hmm. and it's funny because I, I saw i recently saw the movie i've never seen it before but i was like screw it i'll watch it um what was the one with aaron eckhart white house down yeah white house down yeah. White house wait, down? wait wait aaron eckhart no i'm sorry that's the one olympus uh, is falling olympus is falling yeah and it's Koreans. Yeah. It's North Koreans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I just thought that was such a weird. I was like, "Yo, the North Koreans." Well, now, are... now they're the new enemy, right? Because they're yeah. the, they're the bad guys in um in that new in the remake of uh of what? Red Dawn. Red Dawn. You're right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I think that's the first one that did that yeah. too. The remake. Yeah. I think it was like oh seven. The remake or uh, it was no, it was like 2011, 12, Oh, okay. Like that. Yeah. yeah, but th that's a good point. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's just I mean, that's just the way I feel like the climate. Is going to they just follow what's the new? And I think Russian villains are going to be coming back. I'm sure enough. Oh yeah, uh, they're already coming home, back. But uh, in the movies, um, uh, I've been watching TV and they're they're making a comeback, man. Yeah, so yeah. They give Russians Reddit, jobs Reddit. or or Americans that do Russian actions. Right, right. They're really they're really uh, they're I just saw Atomic yeah. Blonde too. Yeah, oh, and that's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it take them for the time period. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, you know, and you know, it's, it's fun. I hope they. I hope we chill on the North Korea stuff because, like, I hope we chill, personally. I hope we chill on the Russian stuff. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, oh, we have to chill on the Russian because I, mean, I, I already know why I stand on that. Because I, I, yeah. I personally, I like Russian people, man. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I love Russians. Russians are awesome. And now we're in Russia for the 2018 World Cup. I really do feel like, you know, there's a lot of effed up stuff that's going on in the, in the high levels of the government. Obviously, I, I, I'm a big fan of Icarus. A massive exactly. fan of Icarus, yeah. and that really tore the curtain open with what's going on at the high levels, and, and how another report for ESPN how they got the World Cup like that makes no sense, <laughs> and how they got the Olympics obviously to be there too. But how you know it, it's not a coincidence, guys. Let's just say that how it's Russia 2018 World Cup. <laughs> but at the same time, I love Russians, and I really do feel like. If anything, now we should stop depicting them as yeah, villains. Now stop. more than ever. Yeah. Like, let's let's bring us together, not make us more apart. Right. That's just how I feel personally. 
Yeah, I mean, and that, I mean, that's a big part of it too. I mean, we just said chill on the North Koreans. We too. have chill on North Korea. I mean, we're we're getting close to. It looks like we're getting close to a peace deal. Maybe, hopefully. I mean, I hope that works out. I don't know, man. Um, I'm so pessimistic. Pessimistic. Oh, I mean, yeah. I'm hoping, hoping you know, Trump just don't fuck this up, man. <laughs> At the same time, it's, it's it's difficult for me to. I don't know. I have too many opinions. I'm not gonna get into it, guys. But one one thing I will say too is that. Um, Speaking of Korea, Korea played yesterday in the World Cup versus Sweden. And I just thought it was interesting. And I know this is such a weird thing to say, but I believe this is the first time that South Korea just said Korea Republic mm. on, the, on the logo when it says Sweden versus Korea Republic. And I personally, I might be mistaken, and you guys would probably correct me, but in past World Cups, it's always been South Korea, South Korea, South Korea versus Panama, South Korea versus Brazil. And now it was Korea Republic. And I was like, that's interesting that they're trying to push that narrative of not North and South, but like we're a one Korea kind of thing. Yeah, I'm hoping we could get the, the people who are in North Korea out, you know, and, and, and mingling with the South Koreans. And so we can have a fully functioning society in that country again. You know what I mean? Like, I hate to see the people of North Korea being subjected to this horrible dictators. So I'm hoping that's why a peace deal is worked out between the U.S. and South Korea and North Korea. And I think sometime down the future that'll happen. But um, yeah, no. Uh, back to true lies, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I mean, what do you... Is this movie... Is it too silly? Is it too over the top? Or, or do you feel like it, it still has like some sort of realism towards it? No, I mean, no, it's not, not really, really any realism. I mean, at the end, they're standing on planes. Like, I was yeah. going to say that the most iconic scene in this right, movie right, is that right, missile scene. Right, right, what is his line? I forget his line. Oh, I can't, I can't he has like a classic yeah, line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, shout out to James Cameron for, for making the dumb action movie. <laughs> uh, let's move on to Titanic because that's his probably yeah. well, one of the biggest one. ones. Yeah. Um, so Titanic, um, once again, coming from the TED Talk, um, when James Cameron wanted to make this movie, apparently, this is coming from him, he said he, the only reason he wanted to make this movie was so he can personally see the Titanic wreckage. Really? And everyone got like a big laugh on the TED Talk, but he's like, uh -huh. oh, I, I pitched it to the studio and I was like, I'm going to make this crazy romance, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. You know, it's going to be crazy. It's about the Titanic and it's a love story. Everyone's going to love it. But at the same time, he said, but, but I got to I gotta physically be there, man. I got to <laughs> physically see the Titanic wreckage in order to make an accurate prediction of the movie. Yeah, 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 like, he started talking about it because this stemmed from his curiosity into the actual Titanic wreckage. Yeah. Like, he's so... And he still is nowadays. He even made a documentary about it, like, finding the truth of Titanic. Like right. He's obsessed with that. Right. Because he finds it to be so weird <laughs> right, right, right. that this iceberg just took out the giant ship um, but at the same time that's that's how he pitched it so he investigated it and would go underwater and this came back with his original background which was scuba dive deep deep sea scuba diving mm -hmm. which was his actual background that's what he studied right um and that's why he made the movie which i think is kind of funny because eventually what we got was the biggest movie of all time basically is what titanic is obviously avatar is bigger but it's one of those things where like i said before avatar has the help of 3d this movie did it <laughs> so now that this movie died down from all the hype now that it's years later multiple academy awards multiple academy awards yeah. like just the crazy hype obviously it's been years what is your connection to this movie first of all and what is your takeaway from this movie does is it still like a really good movie or is it overhyped what do you think right i mean like i don't i've never saw it as like well i mean it, it's definitely a classic in the sense that it is 
this thing that like took over the cultural wave, right? I mean, I wasn't part of that cultural wave. So okay, so you were so you, you so there were a lot. I mean, I'm sure there. Were I was a, lot a little of, kid, but I still remember it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't. I wasn't there for that, so like, I don't know what that wave was at that time. But I mean, you can still see the the influence that it has on today's filmmaking, right? The the epic romance kind of movies that you know kind of eggs back to like the old Hollywood kind of kind of sensibilities, like oh, this classic classic romance tales and these classic. If, you know these classic boats and yachts and all this stuff, but this is like more postmodern version of that, where we see like the deconstruction aspect of it, right? Where like that romance is like literally split apart as the boat is, you know. Um, so I mean, it's cool. I mean, but like I, I, I mean, I like it a lot. I mean, I, I think it's a great. I think it's a great movie. I, I, I watch it probably like once every couple of years or something. Um, but I just don't know if it's like I don't know if it's the best picture winner of. Of that year, was it 1999? I think seven. 1997. Okay. Um, well, I guess 1997. Immigration, mm-hmm. and 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 foreigners, another concept of, of foreigners that we that we get, but it but it comes from the, obviously, it's more about class than anything else. Yeah, yeah. But it stems from that. What do you, what do you think that the bigger themes are in this movie? Whether it comes to class, whether it comes to different people from different backgrounds, immigration, high society, um, you know, the rich get fatter while the poor starve kind of thing. Right, right, right. That that's the bigger theme within the movie right i mean i mean that's what i that's what i totally took from it the most was uh the class the wealth disparagement you know like how this kid who uh, is played by Leonardo DiCaprio has like, no money you know he just won this free trip you know won this free trip on the boat from a card game <laughs> and, and ends up seeing the world with all these rich and fancy people um how how much of a culture shock that is to him and how much he has to adapt to that and how, you know, and I always think it's fascinating, too, when you look at it from the Arab perspective, right? From the Cape Winslet side, who's this super rich girl who's super fascinated of what it's like to be poor and live on your own and be adventurous and not be spoiled and pampered and uh, kind of be taken around, you know? So uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's a weird dichotomy that, that this movie deals with. And it's a relationship to um, both the, 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 the wealthy and the uh the foreign like you said the the not the necessarily the foreigner but the the poor the lower class people who can't afford uh trips and extravagant you know boat rides on the titanic so yeah it's a very classic by the numbers type of love story when it comes to like the rich girl falls in love with the young rascal it's aladdin right. i mean <laughs> right, right right i mean we see this in a lot of other other movies right mm-hmm. when it comes to like the rich girl wanting to experience life down below basically mm-hmm. and then falling in love with someone who she's not allowed to fall in love with right 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 and it's the whole romeo and juliet thing too right except you know in romeo and juliet there was opposing gangs gangs and here it's opposing wealths right and how uh kate kate winslet's uh, character of rose is kind of split between the, the leonardo DiCaprio character and her um wealthy fiance who's like a super dick super abusive and all that kind of stuff too so um, it's just like she picked the 
the rich but corrupted and evil or the poor but, but satisfying and, and generous and, and all that stuff. So Yeah, and it's also, personally, this is my takeaway, I, I also feel like it connects too with like, how does that, what you just said, deal in a, in a, in a tragedy? How do you how do you deal with that situation when you're in a catastrophe like the Titanic sinking or a plane going down or mm-hmm. whatever it may be like some sort of disaster a storm uh, you know a disaster type movie type feel right. and within that is like this class system struggle type of thing because that famous scene of that that you know all the women and children and then the, the freaking mm-hmm. fiance is like screw you I'm going into the women and children boat because right. I'm a scaredy cat who's like I got to keep my money I got to be alive mm-hmm. um, and he doesn't respect the laws of um, catering towards women and children mm-hmm. and he's like I'm a man but screw it I'm rich so F you other guys kind right. of thing right. and it's obviously more of a cowardice thing but it's also an interesting dynamic between male and female and, and, and that kind of roles, gender roles that were kind of determined in that uh, <clears throat> in that era. Okay. Um, <laughs> sorry, I lost my voice. Um, but I think that's a big theme in the movie too. It's like how do you deal with those certain situations in a tra- tragedy and tragic moments? And it's one of those things where it's like when a ship is going down, we're all the same. We're all trying to survive, right? When when a plane is going down or something, like money goes out the window. Like I don't care about you paying me to do something right now i just want to live you want to live he wants to live they want to live and it's like everyone is equal in that moment mm-hmm, kind of thing mm-hmm. yeah i mean absolutely i think and, and and you know um but even though it's equal it's supposed to be equal uh you do see like the the more what the more sure. wealthier people getting on the boats first too sure. right they're, they're getting short their safety and i think at the end i mean it's, it's a bigger commentary on who survives right at the end right look at rose I mean, you don't see, you know, she's the rich girl. She's the one who, you know, needs the plank in order to survive, you know? Like, whereas Leo's just stuck in the water being frozen to death. So, <laughs> you know, uh, you just see, like, if when it when it, when it's a dog-eat-dog world and the rich is always going to eat the, the poor. So. I was going to, I got to ask you about the meme that's still going on now, guys, about, you know, Jack could have fit. Uh, no, you can hashtag, fit. Yo, hashtag you, Jack could have fit. And there's yeah. like a big like battle on social media about yo, it. He could not fit. He could not fit. Y'all got to stop it, man. They sh- they show him trying the movie. He's like, hey, what the fuck? Like, you're not on that train. No, man. I'm not on the train, man. They show him try in the movie and fail. Like, I was I gonna say, know, this movie know? gave us a lot. It also gave me personally um, the whole fear, and I still have this fear, guys. Of cold water. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Ever since this movie, you're like, yo, cold water sucks. Yeah. Yo, see? And, and, I'd rather die by, like, some weird, you know, someone just shoot me or some creature take me, but I don't want to freeze to death, please, right, in right, cold water. Right, That's right. awful. That's an right. awful way to die. Yo, and see, I got to address, because the Mythbusters did the whole thing, right? Oh, they yeah. tried to do the whole door. And listen, they, 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 in the, in, listen, in the episode, they did it. It took them multiple tries, multiple tries to get the position just right, okay? And I don't even know if the door was, like, perfectly whatever. You know, you can say whatever. They didn't even use real bodies, first of all, and it took multiple. So, imagine doing that and um, imagine trying to do that in an actual, like, frozen, where water's literally freezing and bros has to keep getting in and out of water. It probably would have frozen to death just from being wet and out there in the cold <laughs> it's like damn uh i mean but hey listen he, he didn't survive 
uh, Rose lived and dropped uh, like that very valuable pearl all the way <laughs> into the ocean. <laughs> Man, the pearls are hard, bro. Yeah. Now, isn't now that's a, that's a fascinating framing. De- this is one of the first times I saw that framing device, right? Of the future. I guess well, we've seen that that framing device before of like the future telling that story back to the past or to their kids or something like that. Um, but you know, I, I feel like the the more modern approach is more reflective of like what James Cameron's mindset was, right? The whole sense of discovery. I mean, those dudes in the boats are just like, hey, we gotta, uh, we have to check. You know, they, the only reason they wanted it is to ask a bunch of questions to get more discovery about the, the Titanic. So it was just fascinating to me that, you know, when you talk about how you want to make this movie to finance his 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 endeavors, it's just fascinating that he he's so curious about the Titanic in and of itself. And that that jumps off into my my other conversation, which is. This is when, when James, um, and obviously watched the TED Talk, like I said before, but he said that this is what sparked his, he just had a desire, interest, and to investigate more, you know, deep sea diving discoveries. And he said that he would, he did dozens and dozens of these to the point where he, he took it upon himself to put film aside, filmmaking aside. He said, I, I was like, I'm going to put this aside for the moment and I'm going to go inside my passion. Something I've always wanted to do. And from there, he said he did dozens of, like, missions and stuff. Right. Um, And he learned about it. He learned the science. Like, he actually had teams of groups. Like, he would do these type of discovery-type missions. Right. And, I mean, he eventually ended up making, like, three documentaries that were all... He made documentaries about it. Underwater, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Like, he was obsessed with this to the point that he made documentaries. And he said, like, no one saw the documentaries. Mm -hmm. And everyone said, like, I just you know, decided to stop filmmaking, but that wasn't the case at all. Mm-hmm. I was just doing the stuff that I really wanted to do. Right. But then it leads into his other conversation, which he said that when he was driving the, um, the boat, not, not the boat, the drone, you know, the underwater drone. Mm-hmm. And when he was, when he was doing it, he said that I would see a screen and I would, I would be driving the boat, but, but the drone boat, mm-hmm. well, I don't know what you call it. And I would be, going through the wreckage of the Titanic mm-hmm. and, and I was seeing it through the screen but as someone who was going through it I physically felt like I was that drone mm-hmm. like I was physically going through the wreckage and, and those little apparatuses were my arms my hands my body mm-hmm. and it was a, it was a weird mental state that I was in where I felt like I was physically in the Titanic even though it was a ship that I was controlling through a screen and that kind of leads to what he said, which is another concept of avatar, mm-hmm. which is being meant, con- your consciousness is inside this foreign body, this foreign thing, but you're still the one behind it. You're driving He's the, the driver, wheel. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. And that leads into avatar, which avatar. is the biggest movie of all time. <laughs> of all time. <laughs> the number one worldwide box office earning movie is avatar. And he said that he, that he worked, he wanted to, first of all, make the biggest technological movie. Like that was his big goal to make like the most ambitious technology type movie, yeah. um, and he said that he came up with this idea in the nineties. I think he said. Yeah, in the nineties. Yeah, he, he literally had, like wrote this entire script. That's right. But he couldn't find a way to produce it because there wasn't uh, the technology of the time wasn't there. He couldn't do it. Right, right. The, he had he had the vision of the technology of the performance capture and all that stuff beforehand, but they just didn't have any of that ready. So uh, he um, sat on it, locked it away. Um, of course. I mean, you know, that's what a lot of people talk about now, right? Of is is a ripoff of Pocahontas. It's a ripoff of Fern Gully, Dances with Wolves. You know, um, what does he respond to that criticism? 
Well, I mean, you, I mean, when you when he talks about writing in the nineties, it's like okay, that makes a lot of sense. He wrote it like before or during that time period. That's why it belongs in that time and space. Um, that being said, I mean, you know, I mean, all movies are kind of unoriginal to some extent. You know, I just feel like, yeah, um, I think you know, uh, and you know, even though this movie's not the most original movie, I appreciate the execution. I feel like that, you know, you could. We tell the same stories over and over again all the time, but it just really comes down to how they're executed and how they're directed. And this one is a technological pioneer that I'm always going to appreciate. Um, yeah, you love this movie, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, unabashedly so. I mean, of course I get that it's not like the most you know original or whatever, but at the same time, it still, it still is breaking ground in so many different ways from a filmmaking standpoint to... You know, having a, a very strong pro-environmental message, which we kind of talked about how it kind of flips the environmental thing and, and aliens and kind of flips it on its head, kind of takes it from the other perspective. Um, and I, I appreciate that that is the approach that he takes to this, because I'm sure being underwater for so long, he's kind of developed like an empathy or, or, or to some extent, like an understanding of of the of, of, of non-human beings, you know, uh or non-human species and environments, you know. So he probably, he probably is more empathetic towards uh, the environment and 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 and, all, and for and deforestation and all those big themes. So I appreciate them that's being tackled head on. So I really enjoy Avatar. Yeah, I mean personally, I I feel like that's such a it's it's a fair criticism because it is a it is a you know not rip off. I I call it a retelling. I think it's a retelling. It, it's it's the same core story with a different skin on it, with a with a different um, boat, I guess you can say. It's it's a different type of retelling of a classic story. Why is that a bad thing? Personally, I feel like that's that's very interesting, and it's a, it's a different way to tell generations the same story. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think you can be creative in the sense of how you tell that story. But choose that story itself. Right. I, I mean, that to me is there. There's so much stuff that's not original <laughs> yeah. that it's like it's fine, guys. It's okay. Right. I feel like that's the biggest criticism of this movie, and it's like criticize other things, man. Like that gets old after a while. Right. I mean, um, that. I mean, that criticism is always going to come up, right? I mean, that's is. the Force Awakens whole thing. Yeah. Um, for me personally, I mean, a lot of people don't like. I mean, a lot of people love Baby Driver. But to me, that movie felt like totally unoriginal. But I think that's more of a case of people not seeing the original movies that is taking. That's from. what. That's my point. Yeah, yeah, my point yeah. is a lot of people won't see the. Uh, I just blanked. What was it? Like, like, like you know, Dancing with Wolves. Dan- Dances with Wolves. Because yeah, I'll or tell you, was it Gone with the Wind? Yeah, Pocahontas. You know, Free Dolly, okay. all that stuff. And I'll tell you this, Ace. Like I, people won't see that. Like kids won't see that, but they could probably see it. You know what? I'll tell you this, Ace. I'll tell you this. I remember seeing Avatar in the theaters. I didn't have that criticism when I first saw it because I didn't watch. I hadn't watched Dance with the Wolves. I That's my point. A lot, a lot of people, a lot of people so. don't realize that you're introducing properties to different kids, or you're introducing stories to different kids. I talked this to. Uh, I I talked about this with Scott Mans. Mm-hmm. Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Me zero connection to Star Trek. I mean zero. Star Wars. Yeah, of course I have connection to it. My introduction to Star Trek was 2009's J.J. Abrams Star Trek mm-hmm. reboot. And people hate that movie, and the the star the Trekkies hate it. Yeah. It got me into Star Trek. It made me want to check out the yeah, originals. It worked, it, yeah. it worked. Like it got me into like, yo, Spock is really cool. This world, the Starfleet, all that stuff's cool. This is me watching the 2009 reboot, 
it inspired me personally to go back and to to see this world of Star Trek. So I feel like it's like it's people criticize certain things, but it's like you're introducing stuff to new generations. The same story, different skin, new generation. Like I think that's a powerful thing to do with the Avatar story. Right, 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 right. And then and you know, again, you have to me. I just really appreciate that they went for um, an environmental message. I like the whole idea of 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 taking it back even you know like i said the aliens thing and even look they even went as far as to cast sigourney weaver as like yeah the head shout out to sigourney weaver yeah yeah right right back in this one as the person who is uh hoping to help the the uh the navi and all that stuff uh so i mean i appreciate this movie on so many levels i I appreciate the visual effects of course i was gonna Um, ask you about that when it comes to visual effects this is one of the most influential movies um, obviously, performance capture, but but visual effects in general and creating other worlds. What do, what do you feel like this, the, the creation of this movie did for what we see now? Right. I mean, this totally influenced like everything, right? I mean, I, mean, the, I the just CGI, said the CGI environments. The I just said Infinity War. Right. Infinity War. Infinity War is like literally all Avatar. CGI people. <laughs> Infinity War is Avatar, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Essentially, and then. Yeah. Um, and but it's dope, and it's and dope. and, and I think Avatar is really dope too. Uh, you know, a lot of people say the visual effects don't really hold up now. I don't agree with that necessarily. I think, like, I think they still like hold up really, really well. Um, there's that one scene that I always think back to when the giant like rhino guy or the giant like rhino is like behind behind Jake and does like that weird like pan and zoom shot. That's also a piece of technology that became a, a bigger thing after Avatar was the digital camera. Uh, what Avatar really pioneered from a technology standpoint, from a visual effects standpoint, is the ability to have like a live CGI environment on set. So like if you have a cam if you have like a, a virtual camera around, you could like move the camera and, and, and it'll be like moving inside the environment, like VR but like Correct. yeah but like pre pre Yeah, and, and people that use stuff. that. I mean they use Ryan Johnson used that in the last Jedi. Yeah, yeah. I mean a lot of people have I've started using I mean I remember uh watching that um the behind the scenes for that movie uh Monsters vs. Aliens, that little DreamWorks oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> film, but that was the first animated movie to implement that technology. Um particularly in the scene where um the girl is like super giant and she's like rolling through the city and they have like these handheld shots. Um, so, and Avatar definitely influenced it on that sense. And, you know, we can't, you know, talk about Avatar if I address the elephant in the room, which is the 3D thing, right? Uh, that's probably the biggest wave of <laughs> filmmaking that's ever, that's ever, uh, swept, that's ever swept cinema. So, what uh, is your connection with 3D beforehand? Did you have any? Or was this your first connection with 3D? No, I mean, like, there is definitely still 3D before Avatar. Like, no, I, I know there was. I'm saying you. Right, right. I mean, for me, yeah, I remember okay. I remember watching Spy Kids 3D in, in theaters, <laughs> really enough. Uh, Spy Kids 3D in theaters. Uh, but that was still when it was, like, pink and green, like, sure. t- you know, tilted in, or red and blue or whatever. And then... Um, I do remember they started slowly introducing this new thing of the new technology of 3D. I remember the first new one of 3D I saw was that uh, animated uh, Disney film, uh, Meet the Robinsons. Uh, oh, the, is it the, the the Disney one with the with the dinosaur? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was to put place in the future, or whatever. Not the best movie, but that was the first one that like I remember them using like the the, digi, the Disney digital 3D was like the first time I remember really seeing that, and then. Um, and then Caroline was another one I saw in 3D, but then, uh, when Avatar came out, it just blew everything else out of water and kind of took over the 3D conversation. 
uh, from that point forward. And, you know, there's some people who still to this day think that, you know, Avatar was boosted up, boosted up and, and kind of some people say destroyed the, the art of film by the installation of, you know, the digital projectors. Right. Having digital projection pro projection instead of uh, cellular projection uh because when you sh when you project the movie in 3d and in, in, in these modern days it has to be projected digitally so a lot of people and also and also and, and also watching watching movies that are now all converted into 3d right some right. are some of some of them are not but most most at least blockbuster movies have a 3d option or a 3d right. version but then, especially with IMAX, which in, in LA, I've talked about this before, where I struggle with IMAX because everything is now IMAX 3D, IMAX 3D. There's no such thing almost as IMAX 2D. Um, and someone who, who is very pure filmmaking snob like me <laughs> and doesn't watch 3D, you know, makes it difficult to enjoy the IMAX. Obviously, there's, I think there's one or two theaters that, that don't do IMAX 3D um, and just IMAX. But but now you know Amazing Spider-Man, Sp Amazing Spider-Man Two, or uh, the the X-Men movies that were in three D. Like the like I clearly remember this is kind of what started that mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. th that every almost every blockbuster is now three D version. Right, right, right. I mean, people like all the Marvel movies. Right, right, right. And and you know um, you don't enjoy three D. I I, put, I personally enjoy three D. Okay. I'm trying to see as much three D. Yeah, you have two opinions. Good. Right, right. But for for I mean, it just depends on the film sometimes. Sure. Right. Um, there are some films that just have no business being in 3D. Uh, you know, um, I'm trying to think. Was there was a recent blockbuster? I was like, oh, I, oh, I saw. You know, I saw Incredibles two in 3D, man. Oh, did and, you really? Yeah. Okay. And, you know, I, 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 maybe that's why you didn't care for it as much. Well, maybe that's why. Um, but we're talking <laughs> off. I didn't. I didn't even say it on camera. Uh, sorry, guys. I didn't like love Incredibles two. Um, Get to me, bro. <laughs> but um, on, I'm gonna. Uh, going back to the no, bro. I was gonna say going back. Elastic Girl, though, bro. Oh yeah, she. Yeah, going she back did, to that piranha yeah. poster. Yeah, like, yo. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, come on, dude. Jamie yeah. Lee Curtis, Sigourney Weaver. And, uh, <laughs> I'm backing on Elastic Girl right now. <laughs> nah, um, but yeah, no. So I lost all the our, our female audience. All our <laughs> sorry, Ace sorry. Evil. <laughs> No, um, but I love, I love, uh, I love seeing, I love the, what were we talking about again before? Incredibles 2. Oh, Incredibles 2. Oh, the 3D. The 3D in it. The 3D wasn't, I think the Pixar movies usually do the best 3D, or the animated movies are generally best served in 3D. You didn't like it? Um, I didn't really. I um, love the action scenes in that movie, though. And Incredibles 2? Yeah. yeah, they're cool, they're cool scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's definitely. I thought the sub, the sub, not the subway, the train scene was dope. Yeah, it was towards, towards the middle, right? Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. The motorcycle and the train? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was good stuff. Uh, I mean, there's there's good stuff in there. Um, I got. I feel like we gotta stop doing these like meaning of episodes like right before I see movies because then you know it literally when I spend the entire week like jotting down notes and thinking heavy about the Incredibles and then I go into the Incredibles too and watch it. I'm oh, like, you're oh, kind of disappointed. Yeah, yeah, Is that, yeah. Oh, never mind. I was, like, <laughs> I was gonna ask you about something else. Shout out to Incredibles too for for making Kristen Stewart a superhero. No, no Kristen Stewart, yeah. Void? Void, 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 Void. Tell me you didn't see Kristen. Yeah, I totally I got a lot of shit for that on Twitter because I, I, I said it on Twitter and somebody was like, no, it's not. It's, what's her name, the actress who plays her? Oh, I don't know. I, don't I forget know. her name. Um, It's, uh, oh, I forget her name. But either way, there's like, no, it's not Kristen. It's, and I'm like, I know. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying like, they're basically making Kristen Stewart impression. 
right. for, for that character where she's right. like, oh my god, oh, I'm like such a big fan, like, and she's like brushing her hair, <laughs> her comb over, that's literally Kristen Stewart's comb over, yeah. like, I don't know if you've seen Kristen Stewart, she has that hairstyle. Mm. Shout out to Incredibles too for including my homegirl Kristen Stewart. <laughs> I love you, Kristen. I love you. That's number four. <laughs> hey, man. hey, wait, hey, hey. Guess what, guys? Not a, a superhero uh, woman who's uh, silent this time, huh? This is yeah. This is progress for Ace. There you go. Yeah. Hey, man. Come on. <laughs> Tony Wagner, you're still dead to me, bro. Yeah, I think Tony okay. Wagner checked out after we uh, yelled at him. And, uh, uh, dude, I think Tony. If if Tony Wagner is listening, I think you learned a very valuable lesson. Which is what I tried to teach him in the other episode. Ace crushes on every. <laughs> I literally said Ripley and Elastic Girl, Kristen Stewart. Yeah. I crush on everyone, bro. Yeah, I ain't yeah. got no no biases towards any type of girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Um, I have a big. I've always had a big crush on Zoe Saldana. Uh, Let's get into that. So, so this movie brought about performance capture, yeah. and and we got to see digitally created actors, mm. not creatures, not Watto in in, in, in Phantom Menace, not uh, uh, Dexter Jexter in, in in Attack of the Clones, who who was initially an actor as well on set. Mm. But but the problem with that is that they just created a, a an animation and then just used his voice acting. Mm -hmm. This is very different. This is very much an actor is acting that creature. Mm -hmm. They are that creature. Josh Brolin's, you know, Thanos, that's Josh Brolin. You mm -hmm. know, that, that a lot of people still don't understand that concept fairly enough. Um, you know, a lot of older audiences might still think that's a CGI creature, but they don't know that that's an actual actor inside a suit acting that performance. Yeah. And it comes with those performance capture cameras that are directly in your face. Mm -hmm. And this also leads into what we see now, which I don't know if you guys are into E3, but every every video game now uses that. Mm -hmm. Every single one. Mm -hmm. There's not a single video game that doesn't use that. And it, it, it's a huge influence on what we see nowadays when mm -hmm. it comes to the creation of movies that use performance capture people. And it starts with Zoe, Zoe Saldana, who gives an incredible performance. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like It's one of those things where she, she gives her all into this role. And, and a lot of people might discount that because it's digitally enhanced. And I think that's kind of unfair, especially when she literally gave a role for this. Right. I mean, I could definitely see both sides of it. You know, sure. I, I could definitely see When that. it comes to awards, I have a different take. But right. When it comes to right. like, yeah, that was a dope performance. Oh, it definitely performance. was a dope performance. And yeah. speaking of awards, I mean, she was in heavy consideration for Best Actress um, that year that Avatar came out. But ultimately, they just ruled that they can, you know, they just didn't get nominated. Um... And, you know, that's the thing we saw with, same thing with Andy Serkis, with Gollum, and with uh, with Caesar, uh, Gollum and Lord of the Rings, and Caesar and uh, Planet of the Apes movies. Yeah, I really feel like her performance is just, overall, it's really good, really, it, it holds up. Like, you can tell she is acting. She's not just a creature effect. Like, she's actually given a performance that's that's very compelling right i mean because she cries in this movie and i remember i saw an interview where she where she and james cameron were talking about that scene and, and it's the loss of the tree i forget the name of the tree yeah I can't um, either. and they were saying that that you know that scene wasn't just losing a tree it's something physical in nature it was like losing a family member like they have that kind of deep connection right because that's the big theme in the movie is that their their connection to nature is almost 
you know, biological mm-hmm. in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a theme that keeps coming up throughout the movie. Obviously, with the tails that everyone makes fun of. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. I see you. Um, <laughs> shout out to I see you. Um, but yeah, that's it's a big step forward in what we're seeing nowadays when it comes to performance mm-hmm. and performance capture. Right, right, right. So shout out to Zoe Saldana, my Latina, my fellow Latina. Um, cause we got, we don't got that many, man. Yeah. We, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta point him out. Yeah. I mean, she, I mean, of course she says some kind of, you know, she's done some controversial things, but still appreciate her. Uh, oh, really? What did she say? Well, she didn't say anything. Oh, is it the Simone? Simone gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, hey man, I still appreciate, still appreciate it. I'm super biased cause I, she's super Latina and I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> like she promotes stuff in Spanish. Like she's dope, man. Oh, that's dope. Yeah. That's cool, man. Cause a lot of Latino people like. Or just like yeah, I'm Latino, kind of. But she's like very like she'll go to like the Dominican Republic. She'll like talk about movies in Spanish. She has like a her own website that's all about Latinos, and I'm, I support her. But yeah. yeah, I'm I'm with you on that argument though, on that Simone argument. Right? Is it Nina Simone? Nina Simone, yeah, yeah. Simone. I'm with you on that. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Either way, shout out to Zoe Saldana. Yeah. At least for me. Because RB3, no, I'm <laughs> I still love you, Zoe Saldana, but but yeah, man, for for a movie. You said this is the movie that inspired you to get into filmmaking. Yeah. Can I know why? Well, I think it's the mixture of the technology and the um, and the and the message, right, and the story. Uh, you know, because growing up, I was studying like math and science and engineering, um, and it, you know, my my mother and my parents wanted me to pursue that as a career. Um, but Avatar was kind. Of, but I've always just loved movies and loved storytelling and like loved acting and all that stuff in general. So Avatar is just kind of like the the bridge in between that uh, to a certain extent. So I always appreciated it on that level and that front of it being um, a great like genuinely classic um, example of the mixture of technolo- uh, technological advancements and a really meaningful story and stuff like that. Too. And meaningful so, filmmaking. Right? Yeah, meaningful filmmaking. The combination exactly. of the both. Things. Right, 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 right. And plus, I mean, just a really awesomely like cool looking movie, you know. <laughs> There's uh, it's not as many movies that look as good as, as Avatar does, you know. It's also James Cameron. I got to talk about the military in this movie, like we've done all episode. But James Cameron's exoskeleton military. Oh right, right, right. Making right, a comeback from aliens. Yeah, right, right. Again, exactly. It's like the exact. It's flipped. It's flipped around his head. Um, and maybe that's why a lot of people don't like um, Avatar because it's, it's, it, it takes away from the original. You know what they fell in love with him originally for, but um, I, I still think this is dope. This is my generation's, I guess, aliens, of course. Uh, and I'm excited for two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, however many they make. You know, so hoping uh, it's hoping it's decent. Let's talk about Sam. Is it Sam Worthington? Sam Worthington. Yeah. Let's talk about Sam Worthington. This is how he got his start, Mr. Australian actor Sam Worthington. That and Terminator Salvation. And yeah, but this was first, Cameron. right? I think that Terminator Salvation came out. Well, was it? Oh, I, I might be wrong. Sorry. I don't know. I'm not 100 percent sure. Yeah. Um, actually, you might be right. I'm, I don't know. Um, what are your thoughts on Mr. Sam Worthington, who's hey, currently listening to this? They tried to make him a star. Um, it didn't work out. All, didn't work all too out. bad. Yeah. But it's uh, Clash of Titans, man. That sank his career, in my opinion. <laughs> that sank. You remember those movies? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I remember. Ooh. I definitely remember. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, he seems like a nice guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he seems cool. I mean, hey, listen, he was dope and uh, uh, and some. Uh, actually, I can't really think of anything else that he's in, really, if I'm being honest. <laughs> Terminator, Terminator Salvation. Yeah, yeah, he was uh, he was just uh, a random dude in that. 
Right? It's like a new character for Terminator. No, he, he plays the, the machine. Is Kyle Reese? No, he plays the machine. Was he John Connor? No, no, no. He just plays the original OG, like the T, I don't know, 100 or some shit. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, I didn't know yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Wow, okay, well. No, okay. he plays, well, he plays the first man oh. experiment. The, uh. the, the cyborg, the combination between man and machine. Yeah. Kind of thing. Oh, okay. kind of I never. Sense. I don't think I ever watched Terminator Salvation. Oh, you didn't? No, no. <laughs> RB3, man. Either way, um, he tried. Sorry, man. Shout out to Sam. I still like hey, you. Cameron gave you two chances, bro. You still can't hit it. Hey, King man. Blackbusters. Either way, uh, shout out to Michelle Rodriguez in yeah, this Michelle movie. He plays in the military. Uh, very similar to Vasquez. Would you say that? Right, yeah, definitely. Definitely very similar. See <laughs> some themes come out. Right, right, right. I, I, see, here's my final thing on, on Cameron. This is my final thing, so you can yeah. say yours. My final thing on Cameron is is I really like where his head is at, personally. Mm-hmm. And I really like the directions he's taking, not only as a director, but as a producer. I know a lot of people might say, what about the Terminator movies? You're right, those movies are awful. The, the new ones, I guess. Uh, and they should stop. They should just stop. Even though it won't. And I know what's his face, Mike Miller, not Mike Miller, Doug Miller. Uh, Tim Miller. Tim Miller. Yeah, Tim, um, Miller. Tim Miller is currently in production, making the new one, which apparently is going to be great. Fingers crossed. But the thing that stands out the most to me that Cameron is currently doing that's going to come out in November is Alita Battle Angel, mm-hmm. which apparently he has a very heavy hand as a producer with that movie. Um, but a little battle angel is a combination of two things I love: anime and Latino, yeah. <laughs> Latino people. And and the cast is super Latino. I was very critical of um, her face, which the, the lead character's face, uh, played by I'm gonna look it up, but um, because for me personally, I, I just don't like you're giving a, a, a leading role to a Latina actress, and then you're putting her behind a mask. And I, I, and I know that's a digital mask, and I know that's something that Cameron is, is loves doing, but to me, it's something that, I don't know, you, I'm assuming you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, I saw a trailer, yeah. Um, just to enhance her eyes? I don't know, I, to me personally, I feel like just to make it look anime, it doesn't convince me, I'd rather see someone who's not, and I know that's part of the, the manga, that she's supposed to be very cyborg looking, I get it, I just, personally feel like there could be done could have done something better however i i love the cast it's mahershala ali has michelle rodriguez um isaac gonzalez who i've talked about before it's it, directed by robert rodriguez too right directed by robert rodriguez and and this goes into my my um terminator talk too the terminator sequel it, it, it also has a huge latin cast it has diego boneta it has some other actresses it has a Colombian actress as the lead in that movie so personally when it comes to James Cameron, he may have made some mistakes in the past when it comes to casting, but what he's doing now, as far as giving Latinos an opportunity to be in big blockbuster-type movies, Alita Battle Angel and The New Terminator, is bold, it's big, and it's in-your-face, and it's very, very pro-Latinos, pro-Mexicans, you know, Mexicans and pro-all these people from this culture that I personally feel like we should have. And we're doing it with Alita, and we're doing it with Terminator. Yeah. End of rant. <laughs> <laughs> nah, man. I mean, it's 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 dope that uh, he that is dope that they they casting more Latinos, Latinas, and people and people of color and women of color these parts. Um, and it's amazing that uh, Lita Ballinger is finally coming out after all these years of like development hell. I guess. Um, I guess to the guys thing. I mean, I don't. I guess I don't really have much of an opinion on it. 
Um, I, I do kind of agree. It's, it's like taken up, you know, taken away from the face of, uh, of of having it. But at the same time, I guess if it serves the story, you know. But uh, um, I just feel like it's it's it, her name is Rosa Salazar, by the way. I feel like it, this is her big like opportunity. I'm not, I know she's in the Maze Runner movies. That's where I first was introduced to her. And personally, I that's where I was like, I like this girl. I remember saying that as I watched the Scorch Trials. I think it was. Um, but that was her big coming out party, and now I feel like this is her taking a leading role, like a Latina in a leading role. It's very bold, um, and I think she's great. So I hope the movie's okay. I'm not even. I don't even want good. I just want okay. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. But uh, I don't know. Those are my last thoughts on on Cameron. I don't know if you have any final closing. Nah, thoughts. I mean, yeah, Cameron. He, he's had a long filmography. Uh, very, very brilliant filmmaker. Has a very limited number of films. Uh, you know, for somebody who's been around for so long. Um, but he definitely has uh, a great eye for blockbuster cinema that is, you know, is lost, you know, I think in, in the modern era. So I, I greatly appreciate his contributions to that front, at least. And I, the, the advancements in technology and projection and all this kind of stuff in the future. Um, salute to Cameron for all of that. Um, I just don't think, you know, if he starts talking about superhero movies, you should take him too seriously. So. Yeah. He's a grumpy old man, guys. Get over it. A lot of grumpy old guys say a lot of dumb things. But Cameron, we love you still. We if love you. Watching, I love you. Yeah, if you're watching, you know, we're good. <laughs> come on our show. Come, come talk to us about it. We'll interview you. De- definitely you know? not. But, uh, I mean, he won't do it. But if he wants to... Sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if, if we're if we're losing to 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 Snelling, and right. <laughs> I was gonna say nah. we can't even keep hey, up with this. Start the beef, fam. Start the beef. Uh, but either way, he's the director that inspired RB three to become a director. Mm. So in a way, that's pretty powerful, hey, in my man. opinion. Yeah. Either way, you guys, that was our episode. Leave us some comments on the episode itself. What did you think? Hopefully, you guys enjoyed for the most part. Um, we went a little long, but that's okay, guys. We love you guys, and we would love to hear your feedback. Um, and for the Meaning of Podcast, I'm Ace. This is RB3. And we are peacing out for the Meaning of Podcast, guys. Peace out.